Trying to finish the sixth inning here. One, two, and a slider that Torres reaches for. Weak ground ball to short. The throw bounced across, but a pick by Rowdy Telez. And a little fist bump from Alec Manoa, who has now thrown six scoreless innings in the Bronx. Gagosian jams down the wall, can't get to it. But a pass, a bad one by Galchenyuk has a breakaway. Canadians in on goal! Off the goal post! It's in. Oh, no, it's in! I thought that went off the post, Ralphie. It came out so fast, but the Canadians have scored on a horrific pass from Galchenyuk that was picked up it was a two on nothing we have lots of reasons to be confident lots of reasons to believe in our group we got another reminder today that montreal's going to make it real difficult and that they're a very good team and very strong goaltending and that in itself gives them lots of belief all right let's just start it here right here the text lines are open 590-590 your reaction to last night's maple leafs loss to montreal so it's not allowed to be easy huh it's not let me, allowed to be easy. Let me guess what the texts that are going to come in if they're not already in. Get Sandine out and Galchenyuk's never playing again. I will bet you nine out of ten texts that's what's going to come in this All point. Right. Okay, so and Rick and Mimico's already chimed in. Is Hugh Burl wearing everything Habs that he owns today and could mm. this thing go seven? Well, that's a really good question, Rick. My answer to that is a flat and firm No. It ends tomorrow night in Montreal. You mean non? No. <laughs> we? My answer is no. Yes. Yes, no. Okay, so let me ask you, let, let me preface this very brief soliloquy that I've half planned with this question, Ziggy. What is, or more appropriately, who is the entirety of the Montreal Canadiens mystique? The current day Montreal Canadiens mystique. We're not talking about Jean Beliveau and the Rocket and, and, and all of the ghosts. I'm talking about who comprises the entirety of this era's Montreal Canadiens mystique. He wears le numéro 31. I'm still lost. Carey what is Price. That? What is that? <laughs> Carey Price, number 31. I got the 31. Le numéro 31. <laughs> what was the score? Let me just pull up the game sheet so that I'm completely and totally accurate here. What was the score at the 4.52 mark of the second period? 3-0 Montreal. What was the score at the end of the third period? 3-3. The Montreal Canadiens. Don't, don't get distracted by Alex Gelchenyuk. That, that giveaway was so egregious, it'll never happen again. Don't get distracted by the fact that the Montreal Canadiens, the entirety of their mystique is built around their future Hall of Fame goaltender barfed up a three-goal lead in a game in which they were facing elimination. They got the win last night. They may win tomorrow night. I don't think they will, but they may. I'll tell you this. They're not winning the series. Well, is the game, is the series going to go seven? Well, <laughs> Montreal has to come out and play one another good game, and it goes seven games. It goes seven. Like I, I, I don't know what to say right now. Everyone doesn't want a game seven. Everyone has, you know, everyone knows what's happened the last couple of years in the playoffs. When it comes down to, you know, when it comes down to these situations, we we have bad memories. I, 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 I 
everyone's talking yesterday about how the Leafs didn't show up. Well, this happens in 3-1 series. Teams, you don't play as hard as you usually play. They got you there. It just, it's part of it. It's part that, and it's part the other team's going to be desperate. And the Canadians were desperate. They came out and played a physical style game like they did in the first, the first game of the series. And they dominated. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. When you fall down three, nothing, you're not going to win many games. I love the way they call it, clawed back into it. I don't know. Like, I, I didn't even think I thought Carey Price. I, like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not even sure. I think Carey Price was bad yesterday. I thought he was excellent. Again, he made three or four you know, goals that go in on 99, going 99% of the time. He made some huge stops. The one on Nylander was, was really big. Um, he, I, I thought he was excellent. The Muzzin one from the point, he didn't see anything. And then one went on the Galchenyuk made a great play to Muzzin going to the net tip in five. Like, I, I don't really know. I, I don't really, I don't think price price had a bad game. Um, on the flip side, I thought can't, I wasn't too thrilled with the first three. Um, Armia in the slot, it looked like he was guessing, didn't really know. I mean, Armia kind of disguised the shot a little bit. Toe to heel looked like he was going to pull the puck in, but not that. I know it's in the slot, but I, I'd like Campbell to come up with that most of the time. The second one in front of the net was kind of swimming, couldn't track the puck. And the third one did caught Kinyemi. I like I, I can go through the goals and and what why they happened or how the puck even got to that point. But the third one, he's got to come up with it in front of the net. And all everybody's going to look at the Sandine giveaways. Yeah, the first one, Perry comes in, finishes his check. I thought it was a high hit. I don't know what your thoughts on that were. I thought it was high. I didn't like it. I thought Thorne should have had the puck. You know, he he got the puck to the middle. Uh, kind of jammed them up a little bit, but that's a that's a situation where, you know, early in a game, first period, high off the glass, when in doubt. The Leafs don't play that game, though, right? We know it's a puck possession game. Um, and the third one, behind the net, Sandine has got to move the puck there. You're behind the net, move it, high off the glass. Like, the, like they're unnecessary mistakes in the game at that point. Montreal didn't do anything to force it. yes. They're physical. Yes, Kotkaniemi was on the four check and pressured Sandine, but they weren't extraordinary plays from the Canadians in, in terms of four checking. It was a lot of hard work, but I, I just it should never have gotten to the, the you know either of those points in the first or third goal. So I I thought the guys I thought it was a combination of you know let's just go and see what we're gonna do tonight. It's one more. Let's not extend ourselves in a combination. A little bit of nervous just. Guys were nervous, I think. I think Campbell, you could kind of see the nerves get to him yesterday. Um, and that happens. 3-1 games, one team's going to be desperate, the other one's not. This isn't, like, I, I don't want to go through the whole team and the system-wise. Just didn't happen. You're up in the series. These, type of th these types of games, they go on. And I just, I, I don't look too much into them. We'll I go see. to game six, I clear it. So I, I keep coming back to the fact that the Montreal Canadiens whose current era is built around the mystique of Carey Price. This isn't about blaming Carey Price for any of the goals. It's just a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. With Carey Price in net, they could not hold a three-goal lead in a game they had to win. And it took one of the worst turnovers. I mean, it was so blatant. 
I, I swear, I, I, I just don't think we'll ever see something just like that again. That's how bad that Galchenyuk turnover was. The Montreal Canadiens blew a three-goal lead in a game they had to win, and we didn't even get an opportunity to get into the flow of an overtime period. The Galchenyuk giveaway happened almost right away. So for as physically dominant as the Canadians might have been in the first 20 to 25 minutes of that hockey game, for the couple of big saves that they got from Carey Price in the first period, for the iffy goaltending that the Maple Leafs got from Jack Campbell in the first half of the game, for the problematic giveaways, all of that stuff, that game still went to overtime. And I am conditioned, having cheered for this hockey team for the 35 or 36 years that I have memories, I am conditioned to doubt. I'm not trying to sit here and sound overconfident but what I am saying is I'm confident that they're going to win this series and they're going to win it tomorrow night. Yeah. I I really I, think not, that. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and predict that because I, I, anything in a game and I'm, I, I don't think the 2,500 fans are going to make a big difference. Everyone's talking about how crazy it's going to be in there tomorrow and they're going to feed off the energy. Believe me, nothing's going to come close to what I saw yesterday in Nashville and how, how crazy that atmosphere was. The whole, uh, I, I'm, I'm not worried about what I saw yesterday. There wasn't like breakdowns and the style of play, and I didn't see any terrible efforts. Any of anyone like Sandine's coming out of the lineup, I'm sure. Everyone's calling for Galchenyuk to come out of the lineup. Nope, don't. they don't get to they don't get to overtime without Galchenyuk yesterday. I agree. They he, don't. He's got to be in the lineup tomorrow night. He's been great since he came in, and it's one play, and. If this was, if that was Nylander, would you have Nylander coming out of the lineup tomorrow? Of course not. You know, it is, it's, and Galchenyuk's been great for them. So I didn't like the giveaway. Obviously it's glaring. I, I'm, there's no, he didn't sleep last night. Like, let's be honest about it. I, I don't think you can feel more bad for a guy in a game. I don't know what Caulfield was doing there. Like if I'm Galchenyuk coming down the wall and my defense goes down, you have to think that Montreal is in their defensive zone setup and he wouldn't be that high. Caulfield read the situation great and I think he's been really excellent in the lineup for the Canadians. Uh he brings them some offense. Like I I he's a th he's a threat when he's out there. Um the 2 on 0 though. Let me tell you, I if I would rather a player go in on a breakaway than 2 one because a lot of times guys will hang on to the puck. Um, when they both went inside to side, I thought Campbell read the play well. Like, he read the pass coming back to Suzuki. Yes. I, if you watch, watch if anyone's watch the replay of Campbell and Ned, he actually doesn't go when the puck goes Caulfield to Suzuki back to Caulfield. He doesn't go to his left all the way. Like, he had an idea it was coming back. Uh, puck was rolling a little bit. Like, he almost made a play on it. So, yeah, I, it's it's a tough giveaway to watch. I messaged a couple buddies when it was 2-0. I said, I have a feeling Toronto, like, this is the way it's going to happen. They're going to come back and win this game. And then they're like, 3-0. I'm like, it's going to be a little bit tougher. But I still felt confident in the Leafs that they're just that much better than the Canadians. A 3-0 lead is, I, I'm, I wouldn't... I wouldn't feel comfortable if you like if you're a Canadians fan and you're watching last night three nothing like I wouldn't be comfortable 
the firepower the Leafs have, I just have that feeling they can come back in any game. Jordan in Etobicoke, Scotty, where is this breakout game for Matthews and Marner? I'm still waiting. Well, I'll yeah, t- they've I'll, been. Yeah, I'll tell you this. Yeah, they've Siggy. been average. Yeah, I'll tell you this. Well, yeah, I, I think I think Matthews. It's fair to say he's been average. M- Marner, it would be a rung below that. Whatever happens here, if the Leafs do not advance past the Montreal Canadiens, if they lose tomorrow night and then they lose Game Seven, I'm telling you right now, and you know this. Not that you need to be told. Mitch Marner's going to wear a lot of it. Because outside of the penalty kill, I'm seeing the I'm seeing the guy who played the way the guy who came out of the summer of the contract situation did for the first little bit of last season. It feels like so long ago with COVID and all that. But I we are seeing the guy who started the 1920 season. That's the version of Mitch Marnel, uh, Marner. Kind of... I think he's holding the puck for an extra half second or a, a second too long. He doesn't look confident. Sometimes he's on the wrong side of the puck. He, he's a guy who's going to struggle to win puck ba- battles along the wall or in the corners every now and then just because typically he's outsized by most defensemen that he's up against. But that shiftiness, a lot of what Mitch Marner brings offensively, it just it's, he's got no life to him right now. And that's okay if they win this series and he's got time to figure it out. But if Montreal, which I don't believe is going to happen, if Montreal comes back, 16, 16 is going to wear a lot of it. Yeah, I. It's it happens, right? It happens with the top guys a lot. They have a tough time getting going. I think the Montreal Canadiens have the way that they're using their decor right now, and Elliot Friedman talked about this with Sherratt, Weber, and Edmondson, like, they're on the ice. One of those three doesn't come off the ice. I think it's really difficult. You're going to have to find a way to do it different ways. Muzzin with a couple goals last night. They're going to have to find scoring from different players. Like it can't be Nylander every game. We can't always expect Marner and Matthews to come out. And I know they've, it's been dry in this series. I think Matthews has done a lot of good things. I think Marner has done a lot of good things, but it's not the regular season that we saw, and that's an issue. But sometimes it takes a series to get going. We talked about this a lot yesterday. Um, I'm I'm a little shocked to see where their game is at right now, but they have to... Jet, like, I'm okay with not scoring. We've discussed this over the years. I'm okay with players not scoring. That's not what I look at. I look at giving your team momentum... What's your work ethic like? How much energy are you bringing? Are you tough to play against? Are you responsible in your own end? They're both doing a lot of those things, like I said, but I I don't think they're hurting the team. That's the thing, but the expectation is higher, right? For Marner and Matthews. It's not so much about not hurting your team. Like, what are you doing to give us that edge? And right now they're having a hard time finding it. And it's a combination of trying to find the extra play and I, I, they're in their own heads at this point. Like when things don't go well and you're trying to find it and you're not connecting on your plays, the power play isn't going, you're not finishing, you didn't get your points early in the series. Like I just think that you you get in these ruts where, where nothing's going right and you lose a little bit of confidence. Like that, I just think confidence is that fragile with a lot of players where look how good Matthews and Marner are. are. Even they, when they don't have it, it's tough to see 
anything good in their game. And Leafs Nation's not happy with that. Like I, I'm fine with with you know the fan base coming down hard on them. They're they're paid the most. They have to produce, and these are the biggest moments. I just I'm worried that you have a game like last night. The only thing I don't like is that I understand those games are going to happen where one team is desperate and one team is just kind of going out there and feeling it saying, I don't need to do what I did to get to this point. It's just going to happen. It doesn't just happen. The hardest game to win is the fourth. That's the cliche, but it's true. Even in a situation, even in a series like Leafs and Habs, where you have one team on paper that's so good and obviously the other team is nowhere near the makeup of the Leafs and these these things happen when you just throw your stick on the ice. I've talked about this a lot during the regular season. And now you have game six where anything can happen now. Anything. 2,500 fans in the stands tomorrow night. This will be the first you time. You love it. This is you the, love the 2,500. This is, this is the first like time. No, hostile but environment. Oh, I'm not po- saying hostile poutine, environment. Poutine curds are going to be like flown everywhere. Like watch out. That's one thing I wouldn't want thrown on me is a poutine curd. Oh, we were talking about what what we got thrown at. Yeah, yeah. after (laughs) Russell Westbrook got dunked in the popcorn. Yeah, I wouldn't want poutine curds. (laughs) And trust me, I lived in the Ottawa Valley long enough. Poutine. And if if, if they they love to get on us about the way we say poutine, because oftentimes we'll say poutine or something like, oh, you should just you should just drive to Montreal, Ziggy, and hang out front of the Bell Center and pronounce. I will say Putin, this: Putin, and there see the reaction not, you get. I will say this once. I guess got one comment on Putin. It's <laughs> you can't even hold a straight face. What is that? Not how you no, say it? just, is that not how you no, say you, it? Yeah, no, it was what? pretty good. But what, okay. I'm just looking at you, like trying so hard to emphasize. So Putin. I'm going <laughs> to say every word like I normally say it, but then I'm going to take Putin and go Putin. <laughs> I like it. I just got one thing to say about my Putin is that when you get the the cur- they don't put a lot of the cheese curds on it, and the gravy's a little weak. It's like every time I order a poutine, it's extra gravy, whatever I have to pay, because there's nothing worse than going three bites into the top of a poutine and you get to the mid layer and it's nothing with like two and a half cheese curds. I don't think there's a more disappointing time in your life. Yeah. Sorry. Next. Excellent. That that's that's a, that is a hot take right there. Just wanted to make sure we're talking about the fries, gravy, and cheese curds. All right. <laughs> oh. Did you see those new era caps that they were? They've actually taken them off their online store, but each major league baseball team had like a. I don't know what the, what were they calling them, but they they had like identifiable things about each city. So some city, some city caps had like their area codes stitched I in. And there I, were other I, things. Kinda, I kinda like it. The blue Jays hat had a thing, of, like a, a thing of poutine on the back. Toronto isn't known. Americans. Think, that's bad. Okay. Americans that's bad. think that, that we live what? in igloos that, I think. that, we are at risk of running into moose, driving into moose on the highways constantly. That's not in the Toronto area. 
they think we just suck back maple syrup like it's water, and they think that we just inhale poutine. Like, that's a, our lunchtime delicacy every single day. That obviously, no Canadian was consulted, or no Torontonian was consulted on that cap. They put the CN yeah. Tower on it or something. Put the yeah, city skyline on it. The area the area codes on them, like, like look at some of them. The local okay, the, market baseball, the, the local market caps, that's that's the name of it. Well, I just, the whole area code on them, I don't really like. I don't think that's, I, I'm not into that. How about the taco logo on the Dodgers and A's hats? And it's the same taco <laughs> logo. That's the best part. They didn't even, like, Put a chalupa in there, or or put an uh, put a nachos on there. Like, don't put the same. Like, they put taco on both of the Dodgers and A's. Like, I which I thought was a little. I thought that was a little bit strange too. But um, uh, the Braves was strange. Um, you know what though? Like the Rockies having the Colorado flag on the side. That's kind of cool though. Like, you know, I spent a lot of time. I got a lot of family friends in Colorado. Nobody loves their state flag. No state loves their state flag more than Colorado. Well, like, it's a money flag. Right. I, I, like, I even yeah. I even have a shirt. I have a couple yeah. hats with it on. Yeah. And they remake the, the flag like different ways. And they use different parts of it in, in art and stuff. You can, you know, you can buy gear with it on. Okay, I get that. But then the front of the Rockies hat with just like a mountain on it. Like, what is that? I've never seen that in all my trips to Colorado. Like, obviously... What, a mountain? Well, there's 58, 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. I get that. But to have the low, like whatever that is on the front of the Rockies hat, I don't even know. Um, I don't know why they don't consult with people. Like how many artists do you think are in all these major league cities that would love to have been on, on this with new era where they could have gone to like how many artists in Toronto could they have gone to, to consult with? And I bet you they didn't talk to any of them. Well, they put Putin on our cap. <laughs> the great Toronto like delicacy. Said, as long as it's not on my head, I don't care. Now, where's the maple syrup and where's the moose? Just just complete the uh, trifecta of things Americans believe about. Moose, moose would have been fine. Moose would have been Texts fine. Texts are uh, blowing up about the game last <laughs> night. Keep them coming to 590-590. We're all over it all morning. Elliot Friedman will be along at the top of the 8 o'clock hour for his weekly Friday hit. Dominic Moore, former Leaf, former Montreal Canadian, now with the NHL on NBC. He'll visit at 8.35. Josh Tolley, Shai Davidi, on Alec Manoa's debut yesterday. And Susanna Luch, Alec Manoa's mom, is going to Man. join us at 8.15. Awesome. I can't, can't wait. wait. Like, that was bigger than the performance. Yeah. <laughs> Shut the, the up. Best, start. The, the, best line, the best line yesterday on the broadcast, Buck Martinez in like the second inning. He said, I think, I think Alec Manoa's mom's going to be on a pitch count today. Don't know. I can't believe she lasted six. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But it, what an awesome day for her. What an awesome day for her kid. A, a brilliant major league debut and for it. To happen in Yankee Stadium to get the shutout victory. Uh, we'll talk to Susanna Luch about the big day that was for her son, Alec Manoa. Coming up next, Gord Stelic on the Gelchenyuk giveaway on lineup changes heading into game six. And does Gord agree with my take? The mystique of this Montreal Canadiens team is built around Carey Price. And I don't know if you remember this part of what happened last night. The Leafs weren't that good. And Montreal still 
blew a three-goal lead. This thing ends tomorrow night, trust me. Fan has decided to chime in on the text line. Before Gord Stellick joins us, Siggy, should I read the novel or not? How about I do so? Only if they're like coming after me. Okay, listen. Okay, listen. It starts with okay, listen. <laughs> okay, listen. I know you guys are seeing the series through your Leafs fan filter, but both goals by Muzzin were flukes. One was a seeing-eye screenshot that floated through at least four bodies, and the second was an accidental deflection. The Leafs aren't world beaters for staging some incredible comeback last night. They got lucky. Caulfield was in a good spot, took advantage of a Leafs mistake. Blame the giveaway all you want. The puck still had to be put in the net at the other end, and Montreal did that. So apparently any goal Montreal scores is legit. Anytime the Leafs put yeah, the but- puck on the net and it goes in, it's a fluke. Yeah, but what have we been talking? I just said... I, I didn't I thought the first Leafs goal was a fluke and I didn't like I, I didn't think Carey Price was to fault for any of those three well, goals. But he's not listening, Ziggy. He says okay. so stop blaming Carey Price for coughing up a three nothing lead. Yeah, I didn't I, I, mean, I didn't I either. Did, yeah. I didn't blame Carey Price. I said the bottom line mm-hmm. is the fact that the Montreal Canadiens outplayed the Toronto Maple Leafs last night, that their mystique is built around their goaltender and they still barfed up a three goal lead. That's the point. I was making. Mm-hmm. I'm not blaming yeah. Carey Price. I think the Cole Caulfield pickoff was a great read. Like I said, I, he shouldn't have been there. It was a great. It was a great read and a big mistake by Galchenyuk. Like I don't. There's no real other way to to break that goal down. I, I. The only. It was kind of quick to go across the blue line, without being certain for Galchenyuk. That's the only thing I would maybe say about it, but. If I'm making a play like that, you have to think he, Galchenyuk knows that somebody's in the, like, I think Nylander was in the slot. He knows somebody should have been there. And that's kind of the job of the weak side winger Caulfield in that situation. Like get back to your house. You're, you know, you're in defense mode, but he wasn't, he was thinking, what if Galchenyuk puts this across the blue line and he read it perfect. The kid's been good. I call from the playing game one and they didn't want to play him. And I don't, they're not really getting offense for many other places. I know Armia had a couple goals last night and looked good. And Suzuki's Suzuki's play, you got to remember, like we're all all over Canadians for no offense, but Suzuki, he's still a young kid. Like we expect a lot from him because he's he's put in a position that not many guys his age are put in. It's it's not easy to log the minutes and to play down the middle with big responsibility in a city like Montreal. I think Suzuki has been really good for them. Obviously it's easy to sit here after you score an OT winner, but it's a lot of responsibility for a young guy and he's handled it. Well, Uh, the one thing on the Galchenyuk giveaway, you learn in house league at the age of seven, not to throw a blind Mm. cross ice pass across, across the middle of the ice at the opposition blue line. 
Like so, I mean, it was awful. I, it, that, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. negate the contributions that Gelchenyuk has made last night or previously in this series. It was just an awful play at the at the worst possible time, and I, I think that's the truth of it. Gord Stelic is the co-host with Nick Alberga of Leafs Nation pre and post here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. So I'm being accused by Habs fans on the text line to 590-590 of seeing this through Leafs colored glasses gourd and and i'm i'm gonna i'm just gonna present the argument i'm making this way the montreal canadians had to win last night the current era montreal canadians mystique if that's what you want to call it is built around Carey price and they still blew a three goal lead in a game they had to win you know, and in a game that they were clearly the better team for the first 20 to 25 minutes. They still blew a three-goal lead. They won the hockey game, but they blew a three-goal lead. I'm not exactly flying back to Montreal feeling 100% great about myself. I'm happy I survived, but I'm not feeling 100% great about myself if I'm Montreal. Well, I don't know why you're going out of that rabbit hole Ed, with Montreal Canadian fans and vice versa. Like, that is a can't win. There, 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 is, there is no logic when you get down in the gutter and debate with either side about that, the passion they have. But I'll, I'll look at it this way, um, Scott, that I'm flying back to Montreal, and you salvaged a horrible ending at least because – if you would have lost in five and, you know, uh, that way, gone out meekly, this way, uh, at least you're going to get fans in the building. You, you battled the last game and made it a little more palatable. The only thing I will say, because you're right, they, they, they blew the lead, but on the Toronto Maple Leafs side is they've got to learn to close. Okay, they've had five opportunities this team. This team's not kids anymore uh, to win a decisive game, and they're 0 for 5. Now, uh, it's been some game sevens. Uh, they had two chances against Boston, didn't do it. And they had three chances. They're going to get three chances against Montreal. Hopefully they could do it on Saturday. So all I'm saying is the Maple Leafs scored, came back three goals against Columbus, but didn't close the deal. Against Montreal, same thing, didn't close the deal. Game seven, when they really needed against Boston, Boston came back, scored three, and closed the deal. So in a sense, um, I'll, I'll give the Canadians credit for how they played but you're right you're right I mean uh, they're, uh historically because Stevie fell in the stats whiz has all these great stats and said the Toronto Maple Leafs had never come back from a three-goal deficit in a playoff game against the Montreal Canadiens and won a game now unfortunately that for Leaf fans that's still intact so um I'll I'll agree with you but I'll also say uh, I think on the Leaf side uh, there's you know questions about this team flat out closing the deal what did you think about Campbell Gore? Because I just I, I wasn't thrilled with with all the goals, obviously, except for the two unknown overtime. But just kind of looked like he was guessing, and I, I don't know if it was nerves, big game. Um, you know, having been in this position before, maybe the Leafs not playing their best, or or combination of all of them. Yeah, not his best game after, really. He'd been the deciding factor in one of the wins that they had. So, uh, but you know, again, to me, Ziggy, he played good enough. Carey Price was more the story, especially early on. Like, you got to put Montreal to get that 3 nothing lead included some point-blank scoring chances that Carey Price stopped. Of course, we'll talk about not just the Galchenyuk giveaway for the 2-on-0, but obviously the tough plays Rasmus Sandin had. So th- those made for pretty glorious scoring chances. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay uh, with how Jack Campbell has played throughout, including last night. I mean, to me, Ziggy is, okay, we're going to come to game six. Game six. Is there one game 
when the big line scores like the big line, okay? I mean, that's mm-hmm. if, you, if you've got six games as the Toronto Maple Leafs, ultimately that's got to come into play in one thing. Right now, five games in, I've been very satisfied with the goaltending. Some games better than others. Last night would be on that other part. With Gord Stelic on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So I'll flip the coin here because I do presume the Leafs to win this series, but let's say that they don't. Oh. Are you ready, Gord, for the snowball of crap that is going to roll down the hill and catch Mitch Marner in its wake and envelop him completely? Uh, I, I believe that the breakout game... Uh, at least for 34, for Austin Matthews, is is still out there. It, it's going to happen eventually. But Mitch is looking like the guy who was playing those handful of regular season games in October of 2019 coming out of the contract situation. He just doesn't look. I, I'm not saying he's not engaged. He just doesn't look like himself. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, part of it, I don't know how much we start – overanalyzing how they look when they're not getting results is one beget the other or whatever. But the fact is you're bang on. And, you know, a good question was posed to Sheldon Keefe. Um, the guy who's looking great is William Nylander. And how come he gets 10 minutes less ice time? And Sheldon Keefe said, and it's what brought them to the dance after every TV timeout, the big line goes out there. And of course, Mitch Marner also gets PK time. He's really good on the PK, but you know, that's it. So that's understood, but you know, at some point you, you may have to, you know, do a little bit of jockeying that way because you're you're bang on. Like I still like Austin Matthews' presence. He um, somewhat quietly led the team in hits last night, which he does quite often. And so, uh, you know, it's been there. He's not had. I mean, the guy's the Rocket Richard, Richard goal scoring winner. So you expect he'd have more goals after after five games. But you're right. And again, I, I go to the big line and uh, Hyman. You know, Hyman's kind of new get, or getting back, getting acclimated that way. He scored one last night. But you're right. I mean, okay, Montreal, they put their goal scores back in. I heard Ziggy articulate about Cole Caulfield and that, and they did what they're supposed to do. Suzuki did that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, we're getting two games ahead of ourselves. Uh, if that were to happen, boy, that would be that would be catastrophic uh, in, in a hockey sense. But, yeah, and that's why it's, it's out there. It's on a plate. You're going to get your ice time, and now, you know, you've got, you've got to be, you're the best line in this series, and you've not been the best line in any game, really. And, uh, and you've got to you got to show what you can do. On the first and third Canadians goals, I didn't like the turnovers by Sandine. Although the first one, I thought it was a bit of a high hit on Perry. Were you with Sandine? Like, uh, uh, obviously, he's coming out of the lineup again. But was this more of a, a guy that you sat and then bring back and maybe he second-guessed himself all night? Or is he just not ready for this moment? Yeah, you know, first of all... Um, like for, for the person looking for plaudits for the Montreal Canadiens, that's a, what a great Corey Perry play. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, Kevin BX even said that before the game, you know what Montreal needs to get a goal after a big hit. And, and what do they do? Like early in the game levels, you know, level Sandine and then, and get that goal. And I, and I think after Ziggy, like I, I mentioned at first that, you know, quite often with the young players, uh, they have, you know, they really don't feel the pressure because it's all it's it's all great. They're in a bubble. They're in a wave. They really don't have any history. They haven't gone through ups and downs with the team. But where it comes into play is when you hit some adversity. You know, it's just like you know, if you're helping out in the surgery and you're great, uh, I don't necessarily want that guy to do my or woman to do my open heart. You know, second year med school. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you know, there's a there, there's a point where they're going to be a great doctor, just like he's going to be a solid NHL defenseman. I think that is then when you start having trouble. You start sort of treading water in the deep end of the pool. And, 
and wisely he got very little ice time after that. And I could see, you know, I can see Dermot going in instead of him. But uh, you know, all in all, you know, the the growth thing has been a, a pleasant surprise thing for most of us who kind of had forgotten about Rasmus Sandin. But yeah, that was that was a night where there was a, a couple of bad ones on his front. And are you making any other changes? Like, are you taking? Brooks out or Engvall, what uh, what are the changes and adjustments you think Keefe will make for game six? Well, you know, the depth guys all in all have been doing the job. Like, you, the, mm-hmm. the big guys have to get going. Now, they'll break it down, and, and they'll figure something out if they feel that, okay, uh, I want to put X in instead of Y and, you know, gauge mm-hmm. about the little things that we don't necessarily see so much when we're watching the game like we do. But, um, no, you know, this is your guys. You know, Red Rover, Red Rover. You know what? You're the your first place of the regular season. Let's get over with this team. Let's mm-hmm. get over it. Get on get on the next playoff round. Gord, we'll leave it there, and you know we'll be calling on you on Monday either to uh, put a bow on this thing and look ahead to Winnipeg, or to be in a full on panic state ahead of Game Seven. Well, I think uh, you know I thought Leafs would win in five, but I got to tell you, yesterday I had a bit of a gut feel that. It wasn't going to happen, but I believe in them on Saturday. So hopefully we're calling for that reason previewing. But either way, we'll talk on Monday. Look okay. forward to Can't it. Can't wait, pal. Gord Stellick uh, with Nick Alberga, the co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Give us a text to 590-590. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm reading a lot of that this morning. And also, what lineup changes would you make? I think Sandine coming out, Dermot going in is obvious. Mm-hmm. Are there others you would make? We're seeing Nash. people calling. Nash going. Like, Nash going in. I think you got to, I mean, what, yeah. Who else are you like? Well, I just, I think people are overreacting on the Gelchenyuk thing. I mean, he's been a pretty effective player at a really bad moment at a really bad time last night, but he is, or, or Robertson. Like, do you, you do throw a little bit of air, but you don't want to rely, like you don't want to rely on the kids, right? You like, like I didn't hate Engvall's game. I thought it was not where it's been in prior games. Brooks, like I know they're not getting a lot of ice time. I get it. When you don't you don't get that sweet spot 11, 12 minutes a game, yeah, it's hard to do anything. Like you literally have to run around, create energy, be physical, and have a presence on the ice. And if it's tough to score. Like everyone's looking for how many high quality chances do you generate? Well, it's hard to do that on seven minutes. But I I mean Sandy Dermot's coming in. I'm wondering if Nash comes in for Engvall or or Nash or um, Brooks. Engvall or Brooks, yeah. So and uh, who knows with Nick Foligno, right? That's that's a day to day thing that's just still well, going if on. He, if he, if he's not ready and he doesn't play Game Six, he's in Game Seven, so somebody's coming out. Right. Like he's not going to let that last one go, right? We're all over the text lines to five ninety five ninety. Elliot Friedman, Dominic Moore on the Leafs and Habs, and more later on in the show. Josh Tolley, Shai Davidi. On Alec Manoa's debut, the Blue Jays split a doubleheader with the Yankees yesterday. And Susanna Luch, Alec Manoa's mother, at 8.15, she was the star. Well, one of the two stars of yesterday's show, her son being the other. So we'll look forward to talking to her. Hugh will join us for the panel in just a moment. And we got to break down a play that I've never seen before and I don't think we'll ever see again. In baseball, it happened in the Cubs Pirates game in Pittsburgh yesterday.
All right. So here, courtesy of AT&T Sportsnet in Pittsburgh, is the call of a play between the Cubs and Pirates yesterday that I've never seen before, and I don't think we will ever see again. Here's the 0-2 home and a swing and a ground ball on to third base. He took a neck-high pitch and hit it on the ground to third. Now Baez running back toward home plate. Tag him. Tag him. Tag him quickly. And what did Craig do there? They get a run out of that, and now they got to get the out at first, and they throw it into right field. That's going to get a run for the Cubs. Oh, my. What a loony play, and he's in at second base. Just tag him out. What was that? The Cubs are going to get a run, and Baez is safe at second base on a routine ground out to third. Oh, the Calliopes can be heard from here to Sewickley. The what? Swickley? It's like a... Is that a... Is that a suburb of Pittsburgh or something? Yeah, yeah, Swickley is, yeah. <laughs> it's like a... <laughs> the hell's a colloquy or whatever he just said. I have no idea what a that colloquy? is. Okay, so here's what happened. Because it wasn't fully described on, on the broadcast, or at least on that clip. Cubs had a runner on third with two outs. And Javier Baez was at the plate. Baez hits a ground ball to third base. Inning should be over, right? Third baseman throws it across the diamond. It's not an accurate throw. It brings the first baseman, Will Craig, off the base when he catches it. So the out hasn't been committed yet. The runner on third is crashing down trying to score. Javier Baez is halfway down the first baseline. He hit a hard ground ball to third. He's assuming he's just going to be thrown out at first. Inning's over. So now Baez suddenly starts tracking back toward home plate, toward the batter's box that he came from, because the first baseman is starting to chase him back down the line. When all the first baseman has to do is step on first base to end the inning, or as the broadcasters were saying, tag him out. Because in baseball, you cannot score a run on a play in which the final out of the inning is a force out. So... All you had to do, didn't matter that the runner on third had already come uh, and slid safely into home plate. All Will Craig has to do with Baez blasting back toward home is just jog on down to first base, step on first base, and that guy who scored in air quotes from third base, that run would not have counted. He He either didn't know how many outs there were or he has played baseball for 25 years of his life not knowing one of the game's most basic rules. Yeah, but why were the broadcasters saying just tag him? Well, because just they, run, run back to first. You could have done either. Yeah, I guess is what I, they're I, saying. I was just like, yeah. why, why? Yeah, you lose track of the. I mean, what else was it? He, he, he lost track of the count. I, I, that's how many outs there were. Like, I don't know what other possible explanation there there is for that. And that was but no. it, it happened. I mean, that happened. It's not the first. I mean, I haven't seen a play like that egregious like that was pretty bad and you probably never see it again exactly as that drew up and then the old the old four foot toss to the plate i'm oh. like oh boy and then the catcher good. the second baseman's <laughs> coming over to it? try to cover a vacant first base because they still at that point had the chance to get the out because javier by after the misplay at home mm-hmm. baez then starts ripping it down the line to try to get to first base safely realizing if I get to first safely, that run and counts. And the funniest, I honestly, what else is funny about the situation is the throw to second because then he went from first to second and slid in, but it was like they gave up. They're like... <laughs> At this point. We're like, just forget about and it. That was not, and that was not the worst scene 
at that <laughs> Cubs Pirates game in Pittsburgh yesterday. Did you see those two older dudes? Like again, not trying to think not <laughs> fully capacity, right? Not full capacity. So there's space in between the seats. The two older dudes, shirtless, shoeless with their feet resting on top of the next row of seats, just basting in the Pittsburgh sun. Yeah, I missed that, but Ooh. shoes off on the on a seat is Just, like that's a that's a foul for me. Oh, the calliopes yeah. can be heard from here to Sewickley. I don't want any I don't even want shoes up on the back of a a seat anyways. Like I just, I think that's kind of rude when you're at a game and somebody's got their feet up, even if they're not on your chair, if they're next to it, that's like, I'm t- I'm, you don't do that. I'm adding that to my list yesterday after the Knicks fan, Trey young incident, getting spat on or spat at is like the greatest sign of disrespect ever. Somebody else feet up with no socks and shoes on resting for the world to see their feet resting on a row of seats in front of them is just I'm putting that up there with like on a pla- I'm, I'm putting that up there on a plane when you're in the aisle seat and somebody has their shoe off and Ugh. it's on the back of your armrest where it's like 3 inches from your elbow Ugh. I'm putting that in the same it's in the same area code I just I I don't like any of the feet or shoes cuz how many people like yeah, we'll just leave it there. I just, it's this it's gross, it's, right? It's, it's problematic. Yeah. It's, it's a <laughs> little bit. It's just a little bit antisocial. We'll check in with Hugh Burl. How's he feeling this morning after his Habs got a W and we'll be back on the text lines to five ninety five ninety. I don't think there's any satisfying Leafs fans or Habs fans this morning. We'll get to your reaction coming up. Read off. Jams down the wall, can't get to it, but a pass, a bad one by Galchenyuk has a breakaway. Canadians in on goal, off the goal post. It's in. Oh no, it's in. I thought that went off the post, Ralphie. It came out so fast, but the Canadians have scored on a horrific pass from Galchenyuk that was picked up. It was a two on nothing. That's kind of like, am I on right now? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> One, two, this on. That's kind of like, are you when hoping I... you're on? Or are you hoping that I didn't see your that face. was a behind like, the scenes conversation? Talk? Why is this guy leading off our segments? You there? <laughs> go right ahead. That's kind of like, I was just going to say, that's kind of like, I, well, I didn't want you to go to the, our, our whatever we're going to talk about right now. I didn't want you to go to the next <laughs> topic. I was just going to say, that's kind of like going to the grocery store and you get back home and you're like, oh, I didn't get the, the my avocados. Sorry. Next. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, you like when you go to the grocery store and you miss something, you come back and you're like, oh no, the... Uh, the call, the game call. Oh, from, okay, from Joe, right. from Joe. What's yeah. happening right now? <laughs> you know, when you go to the grocery store and you get home, you're like, oh no, I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah. It and I like, love, I love how you used avocado as an example. <laughs> For well, me, it's like, oh damn, I, that, that delicious chocolate milk, chocolate milk from farm boy. That's, <laughs> that, 
the best too is that those are in recyclable <laughs> bottles so you can the 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 scotsman in me just that's loves the fact they, you can send them back take them back love, and get a refund get you. that's how they oh. get you you know that right oh yeah the glass oh. bottles but it is <laughs> it is a beautiful thing it was a beautiful thing for you last night wasn't it Hugh? oh hey guys how you doing <laughs> it was it it but it is you understand is. Yeah. that i'm right though about well, that the entire mystique of the current era Montreal Canadiens yes. is tied to Carey Price. Yes. And that it wasn't even at Carey Price's feet that they blew a three-goal lead last night. This was a game they had to win. You would imagine that when you build a two- or a three-goal lead against the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Canadians are not capable of coming from behind. No. Right, if if they're down three nothing, they don't have the firepower. Yeah, they scored a week's worth of goals. It's got it's got a stick in the back of your mind, like holy crap, we blew a three nothing lead. Yeah. Gord Gord said something interesting uh, last half hour when he said the the Maple Leafs don't know how to close it out yet, and I guess the same can be said because let's remember the the Habs lineup is pretty young too overall. Uh, yeah, they, they don't know how to close it out. Yeah, so there was very nervous times last night. But look, they didn't have to win three games last night. All they had to do was win that game and plant the seed of doubt. That's all. That's all. It's there now. Whether you want to admit it or not, there's a little thing in the back of Leaf Nation mind today thinking, oh, here well, that's we, Leafs here we Nation. go. I, I'm, exactly. I, I'm more concerned about what the players think. And Jake Muzzin saying effectively flush it. Sure. he's Of course he's going to say that. And he's... Of course, he's been around some cup winners. Absolutely. But Jack Campbell had a bad game last night. First time in a long time. First playoff game that he's looked shaky. So that's all Montreal needed. That And I know that it's only 2,500 fans. I get that. But if we're going to sit here and say, isn't it great to have fans in the stadium south of the border? And don't the fans give the team such a boost? Well, then, yeah, 2,500 fans will give a team a boost. It may not be as big a boost as 15,000 fans or 12,000 fans, but it's going to it's not nothing. It's not nothing. And the Habs did a great job last night of just planting that seed. Now, they may go out tomorrow night and get blown out 7 nothing, series over on to Winnipeg. And that wouldn't surprise me if that happened. But now it's interesting. Like the Habs didn't go out meekly, quietly. If they lose in six, well, they lose in six. They put up a pretty good fight. Here we go. Yeah, six. yeah, yeah. No, it's I, it's going to be exciting. This is going to, if you liked, I mean, yesterday's game. I it just the, the for for me the Leafs. It was one of those games where you're up three one in the series, and you don't do what you did to get to that point. It's kind. It's a mix of that, and a bit of a mix of like I think there's some nerves there. I think. I don't think the Marner, Matthews, Nylander feel the weight of a 1967 last cup win. I think they feel the heat of the time that they're here and the fact that they haven't been able to get it done in a big game. So when you have that where it's like, okay, well, we have three games to win it mixed with some weight on your shoulders from what you've gone through in the playoffs, those games happened last night. And I also think for some players... Since golf is back up and running right now, you always hear them talk about golfers on a Sunday and what's your Sunday swing like? 
I think when you're trying to close out a game or a game seven, or you're up and you have that big moment in the playoffs, your game is going to be different. You're going to do different things. So it's very similar to that Sunday mentality. Yeah. You might have the 54 hole lead. You might be a good golfer. Your swing might be perfect. But when that final day comes, everything changes the way you sleep the night before the way you prepare the pressure. And then obviously your swing, when you go into your round, it's the same in every sport. And for hockey, it's trying to close out that series or big game seven. And you don't know what you have until you do it. Like there's no, there's no way around it where, you know, Oh, this team should win, or this guy does come up in big moments. No, no. Well, the moment was last night. And now the moment again is going to be tomorrow, Saturday. And until they do it in the games like last night or Saturday or Monday, then they, you, you can't crown guys. Like I don't care about the regular season at this point. No, that's all gone. Everyone's talking about Matthews and Marner. None of it really in the regular season. None of it really matters. Now Nylander's playing well right now. Who cares what he did in the regular season? He's come up. He showed up to play. And you can say the same for Campbell. Campbell's been really good in this series, but I thought there was some leaky goals last night. Yeah. And the team wasn't great. And I don't like to blame the goaltenders, but you add all those things up with Montreal who came out hard and we're on a game six. Like there's, there's no other way around it. Like I still believe the Leafs are going to win this series, but in the event that they don't, Mitch Marner is going to wear it. And I am on board with people who say that you can never tie players or should never tie players' productivity to their salary, except that in the National Hockey League, there is as firm a salary cap as there is in any professional sports league anywhere on this planet. This young player is making almost $10.9 million a year. And when you're performing to the level that he has through the first five games of this series, you are going to come under scrutiny. The bottom line is this. Mitch Marner has to be better than he's been. He has to be better than he's been. He's got to shoot the puck. You know, like just from a, from a, just an observer he's standpoint. He's burying it in the goaltender's crest. When yeah. he does, I know he's yeah. not a shooter naturally. Um, he's a, he's a setup guy, but he's, He's he's half a second too long with the puck. Yeah. You know he's doing his thing on the penalty play, kill right? and and all that, but he's reminding me of the guy who looked like someone who was lacking confidence coming out of coming out of the contract situation in the summer of 2019. These are the guys who are going to wear it. You know the Galchenyuk giveaway that that was a moment. If if we're not laying a series loss if, no, it, if it goes no, as far at that, the feet of Pierre Engvall, for no, goodness sake, no. or Adam Brooks. Or Galchenyuk. That was just a terrible giveaway. It or happens. Sandine. Like Sandine's, or Sandine's not... a kid, you know, and, the... and Dermot will play tomorrow. I don't think Sandine was, sees was gonna, another was, was shift ask, in this series. I was going to ask you guys, is Sandine in the lineup tomorrow night? No, they'll go back to Dermot. Ziggy? For me? No, it's, they're going and back to Dermot. not as a punishment. That, not as a punishment because he's a better option. The issue with the giveaways is that it's not so much him, it's it's their system. They play a puck possession game. These mistakes happen when you play a puck possession game. If this is a team that goes high off the wall and get the puck out of your zone when you're in trouble, yes, then you can get mad at Sandine, but that's not the way they play. 
How many times have these pucks and plays been given away like that during the regular season? The only problem is that they everything is magnified in the playoffs, especially in a in a game where you you can clinch a series. So that's I I don't like everyone's dumping on Sandine and the Galchenya giveaway, but the Sandine giveaways, it's it's their it's more their system than the mistakes. But he knows well enough that when he's in trouble. You have to you have to make adjustments in your game. Like you have to have a pulse on on what a situation calls for. Game situation we talk about all the time, and you have to know. Just keep things simple. Sometimes I don't like the I don't like the high hit. Like I know Perry was a big hit last night, and Bieksa talked about it. They needed some a big play from them, but I thought it was a high hit on the first goal. You. Uh... Still worried about the push-ups? Less worried today than I was yesterday. All right. Well, well I mean. We'll talk about it on Monday morning, yes. Hugh, and we'll see where we're at. Okay. <laughs> it was that close to being a hell of a day in Toronto sports. Yeah. Right? The Leafs worked their way back from a 3 nothing deficit to tie the game. The Blue Jays, and we'll get to Alec Manoa here in, in two seconds, but the Blue Jays had a 3-1 lead pretty much halfway through the second game of the doubleheader in New York. Like they weren't that far off from sweeping the doubleheader, sweeping the series. We weren't that far off from a Leafs come from behind victory. Like it that that that's pro sports at at its best. Yeah. You are that close to having just a dream day as a local sports yeah, fan. And, and against two of the most storied franchises in all of sports. And then in the yeah. three games that you're keeping your eye on, the two the Jays played, the one the Leafs played, you, you lose two out of the three of them. But Manoa's the story. Right? Yeah. And outside of the very obvious and most unlikeliest of scenarios, the perfect game or the no-hitter or what have you, that Major League debut could not have gone better. It was outstanding. And that is exactly... I don't know what this means for his next start, likely at home in Buffalo against Miami. And I don't know what it means for the start after that. And I don't know if this guy can give them 100-plus innings the rest of the season, I have I have absolutely no idea. And I made it very clear yesterday morning that whatever happened yesterday, we can't draw any conclusions off of that. No, no. But this kid is clearly confident. He, he made Aaron Judge look like a fool in the first inning. Brought him to his knees. And it wasn't just the hack swing on the 3-2 pitch. It was the here-it-is-hit-it fastball on the 3-1 pitch. Here it is, 96, straight down the... Yep. And, and, and Judge couldn't catch up to it. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, man, in a perfect world, Alec Manoa joins in this rotation, becomes somebody that they can trust, get some innings out of. But it, in terms of a confidence builder, in terms of a wonderful story, his family, his mother who will join us at 815, Susanna Luch. It was a great, great afternoon for Alec Manoa and the Powder Blues. Yeah. I mean, you work in this industry long enough and you become a little, I'm going to say jaded, a little bit jaded, a little bit cynical about, oh, the next big thing or the young phenom. You kind of roll your eyes a little bit and go, yeah, whatever. I've heard this before. Yesterday, he lived up to all the hype. I couldn't take my eyes off this kid. What a great story. And I'm so impressed First guy he faces walks on four pitches. Instead of that rattling him, whatever he did to calm himself down or to, or to refocus himself, it worked. 
because he was outstanding the rest of that effort. And to see his mom and his family in the crowd yesterday and just their, their just genuine, visceral, joyous reactions to this. It was, it was a really nice moment in sport where a lot of times you find that you, you've kind of, you're a little cynical and you, and you think to yourself, I've seen all this kind of stuff before. But, but yesterday, I don't know if I've seen something like that before where it was just so genuine and just, just there. It was, it was perfect. What a fantastic day for the kid. Well, what I want to know, and I know we have Josh Tolley coming up, is in baseball, I know it's a little bit different than hockey, and obviously with pitchers, you have an idea, right? Every five, six days you pitch. Um, and I'm curious to know when he, when they told him he was coming up, and obviously he had the extra day with the rain delay, but I th- that matters, right? Because I know when I've been called up, a lot of times when guys get called up in the NHL, it's the night before. Sometimes guys get called up in the morning. They have to leave practice and then they fly. I've done that before where it's a same day call up. But a lot of guys know the night before and it's kind of a rush thing, right? You head to the airport late. You fly into the city, wake up, pregame skate. It happens fast. It sounds like he knew a couple days before. And obviously with the day, the, the day he started got pushed a day. Um, I'm wondering, does that, does that make things worse? The, my first game I got called up. I had two days to think about it, and I almost think that's worse than just having the getting the call up and playing, right? And for a pitcher, I think it just gets magnified even more because of the pressure on you. Like being a positional player or a pitcher are massively different, and I don't need to be a baseball. None of us have to play in the major leagues to know that. I just think for him, he handled it well, right? And you, I mean, if you're if you're a lineup. You have to say, well, let's make the guy throw to us. Let's make him throw strikes. Because I think that would be the toughest part as a young guy getting called up in your first game. And when you walk your first guy, yeah, I think the confidence level is is high in him. And that I think that shows more than, okay, he, he, he didn't come out of the gates the way he wanted to. But what else did he have after that? And what that shows me is that when he does get in jams going forward, because let's be honest, not every game is going to be like, last yesterday afternoon last night right and that's going to be the question going forward is what's it like when things are tough anybody can come in and play a first good game like obviously with Pearson this year in his first game it wasn't the way he wanted to start the season but for the most part when guys make their debut it's like more often than not they're they're good starts right it's what you do after that kind of honeymoon period is over and I think for him and pitchers we're not going to really know till three or four games, but the start let's hear to celebrate him. Let's not worry about how he started off his first, you know, four pitches, you know, walking the first LeMay. Let's talk about the fact that where this guy came from and what he's done to get to this point and the pressure that's on him with the situation with the Jays. I think it's a great day for the blue Jays organization. It's a great day for Alec Manoa and his family. Well, I'm going to ask Josh Tolley about that first pitch strike to the second hitter of the game, Rugnit Odor, because he did walk LeMahieu on four straight pitches to start the game. Pitch one to Odor was well outside, but called a strike. And I just wonder, and then and then if you looked at Odor's at bat, and Odor's a free swinger anyway. Odor doesn't take walks. He's the moron who punched Jose Bautista in the face if you needed a reminder solid, of, solid of right that hook. five years ago when he was a Texas Ranger. 
and Rugnet Odor hadn't hit a worth a lick of crap. There's the odd home run at that bat, but he hasn't hit a lick of crap essentially since he punched Jose in the face. It took Texas five years to release him. Uh, not that I still have strong feelings about that entire event. But the second and third pitches were also well off the plate. And I think Odor went out on the second pitch, fouled it off, and then the third pitch he swings and misses because the first pitch was called a strike. And I think at that moment it was like, huh, for yeah. Alec Manoa. Yeah. And then he settled in. Yeah. And then you saw the confidence. Yeah. We talked earlier about the about the judge at bat, the third at bat of the game. Falls behind three and one, and he says, here it is, hit it. Yeah, against Aaron Judge. And then, like, and yeah. then Judge thinking, I got a kid on the mound. This kid just blew a, a 96-mile-an-hour 3-1 fastball by me full count. Kids default programmed. I can't I can't put a, pa- a fastball by a hitter like Aaron Judge. Consecutive pitches to, to battle back from 3-1. He's obviously going to throw a 3-2 slider. <laughs> the only way you swing at that pitch the way that Aaron Judge did is if you're anticipating a breaking ball. Seriously, he looked like me at the batting cage, like swinging after like, the ball's already He just chopped me. at it, yeah. right? 3-2, 97 miles an hour. And, no, and that, you have to have confidence at any age, but especially when you're a young kid, you have to have confidence to throw that pitch to a six foot eight mountain of a man power hitter in the middle of that Yankees lineup. Yeah, but he's six six two sixty, so he's not small. He's no shrinking violet either. But so, he, yeah, in terms of pro experience, of you're in Yankee Stadium, a five deck stadium, yep. the historic pinstripes, Aaron Judge, all of it. I yeah. think it says a lot about this yeah. uh, this kid, and it's it's what we've heard about. He's had to work for everything that he's got, and and that's probably helped him with his approach and his confidence. He, like, he knows he can do this. He knows he belongs. So here it is. Here and again, not a lot of pro innings. Last year screwed things up with mm-hmm. no minor leagues and, and whatever. But strictly speaking from an age perspective, he, he is at an age where... He absolutely can do this. Yeah, whole difference about building up your arm and 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 suffering some some adversity in the minor leagues and learning how to work through that. And Kevin Barker talks a lot about your every five days. What's your routine in between starts? What's your routine on your start day? Like that's what you learn at the minor league level. He hasn't had a lot of that. But strictly from an age perspective, he's a January baby. He's twenty three years old. Won't be twenty four until. Next year, born in 98, like from an age perspective, there are guys his age who are pitching well in the major leagues. So He's capable yeah. of it. So we're right yeah. up against it. I know that, but I'm going to ask you, is he now part of this rotation? For now, are they yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's better though. Like you're mentioning no minor leagues last year, but he was at the alt site, right? So he is pitching to major league players, right? And I... I'm thinking about my time in the minors and no disrespect to the HL. And I think it's a, it's a great place to develop and hone your craft, but I would have rather have been up practicing with NHL teams and playing in many scrimmages Mm. at the NHL level with guys that are extras versus being in the minors. That's just, it's no disrespect. I just, I think it's a huge advantage. So a guy like Manoa that was allowed to play in the alt site, I think that's better for your development than than triple a and i'm sure we can ask shy that or or Tolly. absolutely and uh susanna luch alec manoa's mother will join us at 8 15 
Elliot Friedman for his usual visit at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Dominic Moore later in the show as well. We're all over the Leafs and Habs and looking ahead to tomorrow night, reacting to last night with your texts at 590-590. Shy Davidi in 15 minutes, former Blue Jays catcher Josh Tolley will break down the Manoa start and the state of the Blue Jays next. music breathe a little bit right keep the text coming on the Leafs Habs to 590-590 we're reading them game six tomorrow night uh the Jays are into Cleveland tonight some wonky weather in Cleveland so tonight's game I mean if it's played may not start on time uh, just based on the forecast but we'll see three games set for the Jays in Cleveland coming off of a another series win against the Yankees Played three series against the Yanks, two of them at Yankee Stadium this year, and they've taken two of three each time, six and three against New York. Alec Manoa with the big debut yesterday afternoon in the front half of the doubleheader. And to uh, discuss what he saw from Alec Manoa and where this all goes over the course of the rest of the season, uh, we turn to our good buddy, former Blue Jays catcher, uh, Josh Tolley. Hello, pal. What's up? Gentlemen, how are you? It's been a while. It's been a while. We are, uh, we're doing well, and we're excited about what we saw from Alec Manoa yesterday. I mean, outside of the totally obvious comments, Josh, about a perfect game or a no-hitter, which are extremely unlikely, I don't think you could have drawn up a better Major League debut for Alec Manoa than the one he delivered yesterday. No doubt. I, I think it was um, it, the, the hype was real. And I, I think what you saw is what you got. He was as advertised. There, there, there's no doubt. It, it was uh, it was quite fun to watch. What's it like when you have a rookie pitcher like that coming in? You know, the the day before, uh, getting ready pregame. You know, do you go are you going over the same way you would in a regular outing, or is there a little bit more preparation that you want to make sure that the the rookie that's coming in is is ready to go? See, I, I always took it, Ziggy, less is more for these guys. Uh, I, I almost give them less information. It's more about keeping them – because they get all geeked up and all jacked up on the mound, and, and you can fall behind hitters quickly uh, and start making mistakes over the middle of the plate, and you, now you start thinking of how am I trying to pitch this guy. I, I try to eliminate all of that stuff and, and just let them go out and pitch as they do in the minor leagues anyways. With Josh Tolley on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So – Manoa goes out there in the first inning yesterday and he walks the leadoff hitter DJ LeMahieu on four straight pitches. Obviously, yep. the, the heart rate's up, the nerves are going. I wonder, in your opinion, Josh, if the first pitch to Rugnet Odor, it's funny, like you try to isolate moments, but the first pitch to Rugnet Odor, which also was off the plate outside to the left handed hitting Odor, but called a strike, I wonder if that just was, whew settled Manoa down because then he just worked off the outer half of the plate for the rest of that at bat and struck Odor out on three pitches. Yep. You're exactly right. Sky. That's exactly what it is. When, when I, and I always used to say this about strike one of the game, 
if the umpire just calls a borderline pitch, strike one of the game, all pitchers do that. And you almost seen Alec do that a little bit when it, when it was strike one, it was like, Oh, now I can go pitch. And, and that's, that's what he needed. I mean, if, if that was, if that was ball one, things could have unraveled a little bit, I think. He was, t- Alec was talking a lot in between the innings, which you don't, I mean, I don't see it a lot. Maybe it's different as, as a player and former player, but is that just a rookie excited or is that, is that kind of a normal thing where your starting pitcher was talking? I just feel like he was in the dugout talking every time in between innings. So I, you know, I, I didn't know the kid personally, guys. I, I did a little research and I know somebody that knows him very well. And they, they said that was his, that is his personality. They said okay. his personality is, is outgoing. The, the, and he, he's a baseball rat, I guess, is, is how, you, how I would describe it in my terms. And, and I think that's, that, that is the excitement. Ziggy. There's, but I also think that it's his personality, and that's what keeps his mind away from, from the, the kind of almost the task at hand. It, it, it distracts him a little bit, and then that, that is important. With Josh Tolley on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. I'm so fascinated by the first inning. So after striking out Odor, Aaron Judge steps in. And I would imagine for a kid... And Manoa's only 23 years old. Aaron Judge has been, what, a star in the league for five years now, something like that. So this would be a guy that a, at a, t- that a teenager would look up to. And, and he's, oh, Manoa's no slouch at six foot six, 260, but Aaron Judge is built like an NFL linebacker. He could play defensive end in the NFL with his size, like six foot eight, 280, and shredded. So you fall behind three and one. And I just thought it said so much that he said, uh, I'm going to throw you a here it is, hit it fastball, 3-1. And he blew it right by him at 96 miles an hour. So then Judge is standing up there with a full count, Josh. And clearly, I mean, you explain this better than I, if, if correct anything that I say. But, but clearly Judge is thinking, surely to God, this kid is not going to try and pump another fastball by me. So he's sitting slider. Manoa comes back with a dead red fastball 97 and judge takes a, a chop swing at it. He looked like an absolute fool. Now judge strikes yeah. out a lot, but he doesn't look ridiculously foolish. Most times he's swinging the bat that he was clearly crossed up, thought he was getting 85 with break, got 97 dead heat and had no chance. I, I just said the, the kid's confidence to me third hitter of the game, Aaron Judge, that's when the Alec Manoa we've heard all about really emerged. Yeah, exactly. And, and re- remind me, Scotty, the, um, the 2-2 pitch, the 2 No, it was 3-1. It was 3-1. pitch was when he fouled it, it, he tipped it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on the at-bat now. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it shows some, like, grit. It shows some confidence in that pitch more than anything, but there, there's the. I, I'm going to use this analogy, and I, I, I'm probably going to be a little off kilter by saying this, but he almost looked like a little Marcus Stroman out there, of like I'm coming at you. Here it is. Here's my best. Give me your best. You hit it out of the park. So be it. And that was what that pitch reminded me of after that foul tip. Yeah. Here's here's my best. Hit it. And I wonder. Is that Reese McGuire 
putting the finger down for the fastball on the 3-2 pitch, or is Manoa involved in pitch selection there based on what you saw, Josh? Because well, I, because they must have looked at the 3-1 swing and thought, yeah, that that's the pitch we got to go back to. Well, I, I, I think, guys, I think my, my take on this would be those guys, those two guys not having a ton of experience together. I mean, I know they've worked together, but kind of giving Alec his own little, uh, like you got to give him the leeway to say, what are you confident? What, what is your best pitch? At, at that point in the first inning, that's, that's how you break that down for him. The, the fact that you haven't really established anything other than the fastball, you don't want to give up a free pass. I think those were probably conversations going through both of their heads at that time. Do you think Manoa watched Pearson's outing this year and said and looked at what didn't go well for him and said, you know what, I I need to do something different. I saw the way he approached the game, what he did, and I need to do something different. Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I, I was actually talking to somebody about that. I, I, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no because he is his own guy. I know there's a lot of, like, comps. But I, I think – you know what I see different um, in Alec than I do in Nate is I, I feel like there's a little more polished, like, polished bulldog. I mean, Nate comes at you with a really heavy, heavy ball. But – there's a lot more pitch ability right now with, with Alec. I, I just, I, I would say he's, he says, no, this is my game. I'm doing it how I did it, how I'm going to do it. If I get, if I get beat and I'm out in the second inning, so be it. But here's my stuff. I don't, I don't want to overanalyze stuff. And I know Pete Walker very well. And I, I'm sure Pete would echo the same thing a little bit uh, when it comes to, to preparation and understanding how he wants to attack each hitter with his stuff specifically. Well, and the thing with Pearson I I feel like there are a lot of layers to the Nate Pearson thing right now, Josh. And and one of them is that he, after suffering the groin pull in spring training, tweaked his delivery. To, he talked about wanting to be a little less violent through his delivery because he's trying to figure out why his legs are bothering him sometimes. And, and so I think Nate, who is a really, I'm not saying Manoa's not, but who is really sort of a cerebral, type of pitcher he's trying to figure out how to maximize his velocity he's trying to construct the the perfect delivery he's a driveline guy etc it i just the different personalities of these types of pitchers fascinate me i could be wrong about manoa i got a sense of he's at times a here it is hit it type as you said marcus stroman I'm going to throw this to you, and if you hit it 440 feet the other way, I'll tip my cap, and I'll, I'll get you next time. Whereas with Pearson, I think there's a lot more. I, I wonder if sometimes he's spending too much time in the mental classroom. Yeah, that, you can do that. You can get trapped in your mind, and, and, it beca- and you start overthinking it. I mean, believe me, you should see my golf game right now. It's, um, uh, well, we've all been there, man. Yeah, I know, guys. It, it, it is. It, it is though. You you can, and you start tweaking, and you want to make this adjustment. And I, you see it more with guys, like guys getting their own heads with like pitch shapes and stuff. How they want to. Well, I want my breaking ball to do this instead of that, and you start getting into your own mind. And now you're talking about like Nate Pearson changing mechanics, and you you do you 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 can run into some major mental problems uh, from that standpoint and you lose who you, 
you lose your identity of who you are as a pitcher. And that's something that I thought Alec was wonderful last night in keeping over the course of the game who he was. So I, I know you touched on a little bit with Reese McGuire, but I'm, I'm curious to know uh, more about game plan and just having Alec pitch to his strengths. Like, do you think anything changed when he comes out and, and walks LeMayu to come out? Like, would you, if you're behind the plate there, if you're catching that situation and you see four balls in a row, do you change any of your plan after that? No, the, the, the plan will stay the same, Ziggy. What will happen is you, you try to find ways to get his release point back on. You try to find a way to calm him down. I mean, all that is, you, you ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four, that's just nerves. And, and you know that going into the game. There's no reason to make a – you fire from the hip and start making uh, some sort of adjustment, to be honest. It, it is more it, – it's more you've got to find a way to, to say, hey, we've got to slow down. Slow yourself down. Let's find a good breaking ball. Let's get back into the strike zone and, and do that. And I, I, thought, I thought they did a wonderful job getting them uh, – you know, getting, getting back to the attack mode. How tough is it to wait to play a game after you've been called up? Like I was telling Scotty, I, I've probably moved and got called up and sent down and cut about 40 times in my career. And I found the one time where I had to wait for my call up, it was two days, was a little bit more tough than actually getting called up the night before. Even I flew game day into Atlanta one time. Is that tough for a pitcher or any player to kind of sit there and wait? Because apparently Manoa knew days in advance and then you have the rain delay. So then it gets pushed back another day. Is that tough for a player? Yeah, it's tough. It, it's, it's even more challenging for a pitcher. A, because pitchers can be a little fragile when it comes to, like, getting off of their routines and stuff. And they have to go play catch, and they have to do it on this day and before they start. And now all of a sudden we get a rain delay or we get rained out, and they don't know what to do. They're, they're kind of like they're, they're lost in space a little bit. So it's harder for the pitchers than it is position players. Position players can adapt fairly, fairly easy. But pitchers, it, it, it is. It throws them off of their routine uh, quite often. I, I always say that's like the worst thing that could ever happen for a starting pitcher is, is a rain is a, the cancel cancel the game on a rain out because they they do and they that's another mental like you talk about the mental side of pitching that's another mental piece that nobody really talks about is the routines that these guys have and that routines are wonderful and everybody should have a good routine but they take it so far so far that it like it like well well i was off my routine so i'm gonna i'm gonna be terrible today like that's their mindset. If if they don't do exactly what they're supposed to do, they, they it's a game of adjustments, and they don't do very good at making adjustments. With Josh Tolley, former Blue Jays catcher on leadoff Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. So it, it wouldn't be any fairer to ask you for a prediction of how all of this will look over the next number of starts, weeks, and and months, Josh, than than to ask anybody else. But I mean, it is it at the very least realistic in your mind? Given, I mean, he's 23 years old. He doesn't have a whole lot of professional experience. There was the alt site last year, but there wasn't an accumulation of, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, legitimate minor league innings, three AAA starts. Is it within the realm of realistic possibility that Alec Manoa can be a guy that this team relies on every fifth day? for the rest of this season? 
Yeah, I, I think I think that's much realistic. And I know I know Scotty. Like, there's some there's some rumblings about that the innings and has. But but what I see is that there's a different maturity level. And as I said, you know, the somebody that's very close to him said you you would not believe that the kid is 23 when you talk to him. You think he's 33, and and that's something that will carry this kid for the rest of his career. And then now we just talk about this season, like. There's a work ethic that the kid has established. There's, he's already – and I know it's only been one game and it's six innings. I get all that. But the stuff is there. The, the composure is there. And that's what's important. And, and that's what's going to develop consistency for the kid. So I, 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 think, I think that my answer to that, Scotty, is yes. All right. A doubt. Go out and shoot par today, pal. No, that's not going to happen. I need some rain. What's 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 your what's your best score so far this this summer? What do you like? What are you what are you shooting? Well, what's you your guys, handicap? I'm the guy that does. I'm the guy that doesn't keep score. Okay, that's how good I'm so <laughs> that's a that's a that's a 23 handicap or your or your or your or your or your your 23 or your scratch. It's one or the other. <laughs> yeah, no, you're. I'm tw- hey, I'm 23. I'm 23. Let's get a match. I'll take a stroke a hole and we'll go from there. <laughs> now I'm worried. He's, uh, he's absolutely sharking you now. Oh yeah. Great to chat, Josh. We'll do it again very Love soon. You, you bet. Thanks jo- for having me on. You bet, Josh Tolley, former uh, Blue Jays catcher, Shy Davidi on Alec Manoa's debut in just a moment. Uh, Elliot Friedman at the uh, top of the hour. Here he is, Shai Davidi, a Blue Jays insider, Major League Baseball insider, and Sportsnet senior baseball writer. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit donvalleynorthlexus.com. I'll, I'll actually start with the same question that I ended with Josh Tolley, Shai, and that's this. Do you think it's realistic that Alec Manoa can be somebody the Blue Jays count on every fifth day for the remainder of the season? I think that it's realistic, uh, but, you know, anybody expecting it to be just like last night for the rest of the year, you know, you're going to have to check yourself there because, you know, he's going to struggle at some point. You know, the history for every player transitioning the majors tells us that. But, you know, he certainly looks like somebody who has a lot to contribute at this point. And, you know, as much as I think there's some developmental question marks longer term in terms of how the short period of time in the minor leagues might affect them. You know, the, the, the stuff is just going to play. Right. And, you know, he wasn't even as good as he can be in terms of fastball velocity, in terms of slider crispness. Like there are times that, you know, he's been a, a little bit sharper than that. And, you know, you just think about the way that it played last night or the last last afternoon you know, it's, you know, he's got a chance to be a consistent contributor. Uh, I think that there's a, a bit of a workload question mark. I think that the Blue Jays will have to manage that at some point and, you know, maybe skip a start here or there or something along those lines. But, you know, I think, you know, the game and the talent suggests that he could be a piece for this team uh, for the rest of the year. Has it changed anything with management with the Jays? Like, I know, obviously, six scoreless innings, he comes out in, in that performance, and we're all happy here this morning and excited for him. But does does the plan change for the Jays? I think the plan, I think that it's going to take a bit more time, right? Like, you have to yeah. be sure, right? And 
I, I, I would certainly say that he defied expectations, right? Like you didn't expect him to go into Yankee Stadium and throw, you know, six shutout, allowing just two hits, and you know, both of them are are jam shots that, that find holes. You know, nobody nobody would have written that script, but you know, whether or not it impacts how you approach the trade deadline. You know, you still you still have a couple months to to gain some information and and make sure that all the that you know what you're seeing is going to legitimately play. So, you know, the Blue Jays are a team as we know uh, in need of answers in the back end of the rotation. And instead of a question mark, uh, you know, he looks like uh, Mano looked like a very very obvious answer, uh, and that's that's a good thing for this team. With Shai Davidi on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. It, it's funny. Like, you, you want to settle in and watch a ball game, and the Jays were to have played Wednesday night, and Manoa was to have started, and that was the night where the Leafs and Habs were not playing. So it fit into the schedule perfectly. But I think from a... Uh, despite the disappointment for fans that it wasn't a primetime game, it worked out well for the Jays, shy because Wednesday became an off day for that bullpen. And then the doubleheader turned a couple of nine-inning games into a couple of seven-inning games. You got a deep start out of Manoa. You got a deep enough start out of Robbie Ray last night in a loss that they only had to use one reliever, A.J. Cole. And now you wake up this morning in Cleveland, and Tyler Chatwood has had two full days off. And Anthony Castro has had two full days off. And on and on down the list. Like, if your name isn't Romano or Cole, and you're in that bullpen, you haven't pitched since Tuesday uh, at the most recent. You got another off day Monday. You got another off day next Thursday. My question is the concern about usage, the concern about performance in the bullpen and those two things tied together. It's one thing to worry about it. It's another thing to be able to address it. How worried are the coaches the front office right now about the state of the bullpen because this team is better than its 25 and 24 record if not for the performance of the bullpen over the last couple of weeks yeah certainly um you know i would say that as much as we we talk about that you know, about the the usage and that's certainly a factor um you know there, there's a degree where you had to expect a bit of regression where you had all these guys who are pitching well beyond their career norms. Uh, and, you know, all of them didn't suddenly turn into Josh Hader overnight. You know, the, you know, these guys were, were going to, to level out at a certain point. So I, I think that's a, a bit of a factor that was at play in terms of what we've seen over the past uh, week and a half as well. Uh, but you're very right about how much better this positions, uh, positions this team. And, you know, depth is starting, uh, starting to become an issue because, you know, just of the, the level of attrition. And, you know, the, you think about, the, you know, this team misses uh, those leverage innings from Ryan Barucki. Uh, you know, David Phelps' loss hurts, uh, especially when, you know, you think Kirby Yates was supposed to be a part of this bullpen too. Uh, and so, you know, that takes away, you know, an, an established, um, you know, late inning leverage guy out of the mix. And, you know, now, now that's that's more on Tyler Chatwood, that's more on Jordan Romano, that's more on Rafael Dolis. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, all three of those guys have been on the IL themselves this year as well. 
So, you know, I think that the, the depth is a, a bit of a concern uh, just because of how far down they've had to go into it. Uh, it. It's certainly something that at some point I'd expect them to uh, address in terms of adding uh, another arm or two here or there. Um, and, and you see the Blue Jays, you know, trying to, to get a lottery ticket. See, you know, Carl Edwards Jr. recently signed a minor league deal, you know, just just looking for any opportunities that they can. Uh, but down the road, I, I certainly think that this is something they'll need to fortify ahead of the trade deadline, uh, regardless of how this team performs. But, you know, in, in the here and now, uh, the way the, the past couple of days played out really helps. And, you know, the one thing that you also didn't mention, too, that's fortunate for the Blue Jays is that, that off day Monday means that they double, doubling up on starters last night isn't going to mean that they, they need another starter down the road. The off day allows them to you know, keep Manoa and, and Ray on turn uh, and not have to dig into the minors for another starting pitcher. Is there any update on George Springer? Uh, he threw from the outfield yesterday. That was uh, a point of progress. Uh, Charlie Montoya said that it was the best he'd felt after doing some exercises, but, uh, you know, it's still steady as she goes until he starts running the bases. Uh, you know, there's no real, uh, it, it's not going to be imminent until he starts running the bases. Yeah. there, uh, And I'm not suggesting that you or anybody else knows anything. This whole thing just feels weird to me, shy. And and I know that soft tissue injuries can can drag and and, but he he must have suffered some kind of serious setback because I have a hard time believing they sent him out to DH for three and a half games at far 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 less than one hundred percent health. They must have thought he was at least close. This has not gone according to plan. No, certainly not. And you know I think one of the one of the factors that, you know, the Blue Jays have mentioned a couple of times, which I thought, which I think is interesting is that, um, you know, maybe the Blue Jays didn't account for George Springer's pain tolerance enough in terms of what he can play through uh, when, when they were making the final determinations. And that, you know, even back in, in the spring, you know, when, when they said that the initial was a, was a grade two sprain and everyone was surprised that it was that because, you know, Springer had been playing, you know, I think that at that point it took them, uh, you know, they, they weren't sure what to make of it because, you know, the, the results on the MRI weren't, weren't, uh, didn't match up with the symptoms he was describing. And so, uh, you know, I think what's happened since is that the Blue Jays are, are, are looking at this and say, okay, you know, regardless of what you feel, we're really going to slow your slow this up and make sure that we knock it out. Um, you know, and in talking to, to one former player who had a quad injury, he was saying that, you know, unless you really shut it down for an extended period, uh, it's an injury that can linger. Uh, and that player basically fought the quad injury the whole year. Um, you know, kept on trying to play through it, wasn't really right, and didn't get himself right until the offseason. So, you know, my guess is the Blue Jays right now are, are you know, taking all the precautions that they can, saying, you know what, let's not, let's go super slow this time and get it right. Uh, because, you know, having him for July, August, and September uh, at this point is, is the most important thing. We'll leave it there. Thanks for the insight, Shai, and uh, you know we'll be calling on you in the not-too-distant future.
Anytime, fellas. Stay well. That's Shai Davidi, Sportsnet's senior baseball writer. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Elliot Friedman, Dominic Moore on the Leafs and Habs next hour. And Susanna Luch, the mother of Alec Manoa, in about 15 minutes' time. Quick check of what we're talking about this morning on leadoff. Sportsnet 590, the fan. A couple of 4-3 to three overtime scores in the NHL playoffs. The Stanley Cup playoffs last night. Leafs dropped the decision 4-3 to three to Montreal. They've got a three-games-to-two series lead, heading to Game 6 in Montreal tomorrow. And the Carolina Hurricanes beat the Nashville Predators on Sebastian Ajo's second of the night, fifth of the series, a 4-3 overtime win in game six. The Hurricanes advance and will take on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Meanwhile, the Blue Jays split a doubleheader with the Yankees yesterday. Six scoreless innings for Alec Manoa in his Major League debut. Blue Jays win 2-0 in the first half of the uh, doubleheader. The Yankees come back and beat Robbie Ray 5-3 in the back half of the doubleheader. Blue Jays into Cleveland tonight for the first of three games. Uh, you can listen to it on Sportsnet 590. The fan, you can watch it on Sportsnet 1. Susanna Luch is the mother of Alec Manoa. She will be along in about 15 minutes. But first, uh, our good buddy from the Hockey Night in Canada broadcasts, the NHL on Sportsnet, 31 Thoughts, the podcast and the column weekly on sportsnet.ca. Here is Elliot Friedman. What do you think I'm feeling this morning, Elliot? How do you think I'm feeling? Take a guess. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say, I was listening to the end of Shy there, and Scotty, when you said you'll be calling him again soon, mm-hmm. he didn't seem very excited about that, I just mm-hmm. have to say. So I'm trying to determine who's more up, uh, unhappy sounding shy at knowing he has to come on this show again, or you in general because of the Maple Leafs. Well, <laughs> we'll have to get Shy back on and discuss that with him. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this. Okay. What is the nature of the current era of the Montreal Canadiens mystique? Who defines the mystique? Who does the mystique comprise? It's one person. You know who it is. Le numéro 31. Jerry Price? Oui. And I wouldn't blame him for anything that happened last night after they had a 3 to nothing lead. But the bottom line is this. The Montreal Canadiens blew a 3 nothing lead in a game they yep. had to win. Now, I don't think the Montreal Canadiens are coming back from a two- or a three-goal deficit should they face one in any game left in this series. The Maple Leafs did. Now, it wasn't pretty. The Galchenyuk turnover, yes. But if I'm the Maple Leafs, I'm thinking to myself, if we just get back to playing our game, we're fine. That's how I look at it. I'm, I'm not freaking out about what happened last night. I, I got to say, you, you are handling this better than I thought you were going to. Have I disappo- I really are thought- you proud of me or are you disappointed because you were looking no. forward to a complete train wreck? Uh, I, well, actually both, I would have to okay. say. I am proud of you, but I really thought Zygamanis would be pulling you out of a corner of a room somewhere. <laughs> I've been doing it for two hours now. <laughs> I mean, I thought... I, it's okay, Scotty. You it's what it is. There. The only thing I'm disappointed about, of course, is that it, it was an opportunity to get this thing over with quickly and and get some rest ahead of Winnipeg. You know, I'm, um, I'm really excited to see... I know it's not a big crowd, but I'm really excited to see a crowd tomorrow night. I have to tell you that. I, I am looking forward to seeing fans in a building in Canada for the first time all year. I, I think that's going to be... 
especially after watching that Islander game the other night, um, to see this, um, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. You know, I, uh, I don't really know what else to say to people like you. I know there's a, there's a legion of Maple Leaf fans who are very similar to yourself. And you should have seen the text messages I was getting from some of them last night, just mass panic there. It doesn't take a lot to, I actually thought I, I'm kind of with you, Scott, in the sense that, you know, they, they didn't start great. The Canadians got the greasy goals. You know, what did Kevin say at the top of the show last night? That Corey Perry was going to put his stick in a garbage can and say, we need some garbage goals. And they got them. You know, Kelly talked about how they simply had to go to the net and create havoc and, and create their luck out of that. And they did. They did everything they needed to do. But, you know, I even when it was 3 nothing, I never thought that game was over. Um you know, Toronto's got a lot of firepower. They've shown it in the series. And I don't, even though, you know, I don't know anybody who picked two goals from Jake Muzzin, I wasn't surprised that they came back and tied it. And I bet you when that overtime started, a lot of people thought Toronto was going to win it. There is a certain fatalism to being a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Uh, that has been earned. I understand why it's there. I, I'm sure there's a lot of Leaf fans who are sitting there chewing the ends of their fingernails at the end of last night and through today. But, you know, I think generally you probably thought this series was going at least six games. I think Toronto's generally been the better team in the series. Um, you know, the, the one thing I really look at, and, uh, you know, I, I think I just can't imagine – you know, Matthews being as quiet as he is through six games of a series. The the one guy I'm looking at offensively and I'm, a, I'm wondering a little bit about is Marner. I think he's playing a tremendous 195-foot series, but he seems to really – Mike, you know, like you can probably explain this better than I can, but I like everything he's doing. And then in that last five feet in front of the net – he just doesn't seem to be incredibly confident about how to get it in there. And, you know, he, he did create the goal that Hyman scored last night to get them started. But it's just interesting watching Marner for me right now because, like I said, I think it's a fantastic player and I think he's playing really well. But I just don't think he seems confident around the net. And, uh, you know, I think that has to go away at some point for him if Toronto's going to be successful. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was letting Scotty know all morning that it's. It looks a little bit of a confidence thing where you just you start second guessing yourself, right? It's like that first game or first two games don't go well, and then you just can't seem to you find your hands in tight spaces, shooting the puck. Then all of a sudden you're passing it, and then you're talking to your buddies later, maybe your parents, maybe your agent, and they're giving you some advice, and then maybe a coach comes over. Like it could be a number of things where I've seen players in Marner's case struggle. I just, with Matthews and Marner at this point, I I think they can win without them. So I'm not too concerned. Like I, I like Leafs winning in game six and Marner's and Matthews doing the same thing they've done the last couple. I'm, I'm, you've seen it, right, Elliot? Like how many times does it take some of the stars and guys you rely on for offense to get going in the playoffs? It, it ha It's happened before and it, oh, yeah. it might happen in this situation, right? It might, but I, I think I, I think you're at the point now where you just got to say, 
I don't know if you really want to see that anymore. Uh, <laughs> if you're a Toronto fan, I mean, it's like we talked before game six of Islanders Pittsburgh in the intro, we talked about Jake Gensel, a 16% career shooter who was 0 for 24 in the series. And you're sitting there saying that's got to end and he scored. You know, Matthews is a 16% career shooter who was shooting 4% going into last night. And it's, you know, it's, I didn't see how many shots he ended up with, but it's at worst the same and probably lower. You know, I mean, you, you sit there and you say that that can't continue. It was weird last night. Like that line didn't get a lot of great chances, which kind mm. of surprised me a bit. They're going to need, they're going to need them uh, tomorrow night. You know, I got to tell you, I mean, Nylander, um, he continues to play extremely well. Mm -hmm. And it's not only, you know, the the offensive creation, but the ability to get the puck off of someone else, his ability to steal pucks off the Canadians, underrated skill of his, been very good this series. Um, You know, he's hot right now. And if I'm Keith tomorrow night, I'm double shifting them more with yeah, 17, 17 minutes, right? Yeah. So yeah, 17 minutes. Like, I, I don't know why he's not, I don't know how they don't get him out there more. I'm, I still don't get it. Like may, maybe there's something there with Keith where it's once I play him 21 minutes, his game falls off. Cause I don't know what else there is. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a good question, Mike. I, I, it's something I'm wondering too. Like if you look at, I, I, I checked during the regular season he was five minutes behind Matthews and Marner on average. And early in the series, that was up to seven. Now, I think a little bit of that is because Tavares and Felino, his regular line mates, are out. But Kerfoot has played really well. Um, you know, I don't know if it's because Keefe as a whole doesn't trust that line, the Kerfoot, Galchenyuk, Nylander line, because it's not a line he's used to. Like the other three lines, he knows them all, right? So he's confident in that one. I wonder if, like, I wonder if he's just not as confident in the composition of that line that Nylander plays on, which is fine. But I think the way he's playing, uh, he's earned a bit more. But you know, it is a good question. Does he look at Nylander and say there's a certain drop-off when he hits a certain number? It's not It's not unrealistic to think that could be the case because there are coaches who feel that way and teams who feel that way about certain players. With Elliot Friedman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan, there's no way to predict if and when John Tavares comes back this year and i mm-hmm. think the, the obvious statement and we all feel it is that whatever is best for john is what needs to happen mm-hmm. that said it was surprising that he was on the ice uh yesterday morning uh going for a, a a little twirl what is what is your sense of the steps here elliot and what john needs to experience his medical people need to see him experiencing the maple leafs want to see him experiencing like in terms of the possibility of this tracking toward his return? You know, there was starting to be word on Tuesday that he might skate this week. Um, And nobody was obviously confirming it until he actually happened. You know, on Wednesday night, you know, we did report that 
there was a chance he was going to begin light workouts, uh, including some potentially some light skating, uh, which is what they would call that. I think that what you're going to see, or maybe not see, depending on you know what is available, is whatever he did yesterday. As long as he recovered from it well, and you know, looking at him last night, he was obviously you know there and he was involved, so it looked positive. Um, they'll let him do a little bit more every day, um, and basically that's what's going to happen every day. As long as he recovers from what he did the previous day and he doesn't feel anything, then he's going to be allowed to do a little bit more. And then eventually he's going to get into practice, probably in a non-contact jersey. Uh, and then eventually he'll be in a contact jersey. And that's when we can talk about you know how soon it is until he plays. So until I see him in at practice, at least in a non-contact jersey, I don't think we're necessarily looking at anything here. But, you know, there's no question, Scott, that people are happy with the recovery. He feels good, better than I think a lot of people thought he was going to be in a week. Um, you know, he, I, I think there's a, a general hope and a feeling here that the worst-case scenario uh, is, is far from happening and that there is a chance he could recover uh, completely quicker than possible, but it is a concussion and you have to be careful. These things are tricky and they defy any kind of real measurement. So basically as long as he's, um, as long as he's improving on a daily basis and he can handle the workload he's given, then they'll keep moving towards uh, an eventual return to practice. But until I see him in practice and they see him in practice, and at least a non-contact jersey, we're not talking about a return here yet. Well, we'll do it again next Friday, Elliot, and I can't promise I'll be in good shape. As long I'm hoping we're in the middle of a Leafs-Jets playoff series, pal. I can tell you that right now. Can't promise you anything. <laughs> But well, I think that kind of uncertainty is what we all look forward to, Scotty. Yes, exactly. Uh, we'll talk next Friday. Thanks, Elliot. All right, guys, take care. Elliot Friedman, a hockey night in Canada. All right, this is the the spot in the morning we've all been waiting for. Uh, Alec Manoa yesterday, six innings of scoreless ball as the Blue Jays beat the Yankees two nothing in the first half of a doubleheader. That win secured the series victory over the New York Yankees. It was his major league debut. First round draft pick 2019 out of the University of West Virginia. And Alec Manoa's mom stole the show. Susanna Luch was on our TV screens a lot yesterday, living the moment uh, with her son. And she is good enough to take some time to join us this morning. Uh, Susanna, I mean, I think it's a, it's a silly question to ask how you're doing. Um, you must be over the moon. But I will ask, how are you? Are you still wired are you tired? Has the adrenaline worn off? What are you feeling this morning? Um, first of all, good morning, and thank you for having me on the show. Um, as you can see, my voice is a little bit gone. It was a uh, memorable um, evening. It's, it's been a great run these last three days. Um, as far as waking up this morning and the adrenaline, it's still there. Like, I'm ready for another one. Like, let's go. What, what was it like? I mean, not just not just how well Alec pitched through the six innings, but the whole experience 
from getting your ticket scanned, going into Yankee Stadium and, and walking in and finding your seat, just the whole thing, the entourage, the, the, the family, the friends, what was, what was the whole day like? Well, it was, you know, for us, it, you know, it was a very exciting, you know, uh, a, a time period. Uh, you know, I, when I received the phone call, I was just over the moon. I was ecstatic. Uh, I, I was already trying to figure out everything and trying to plan everything. And, and uh, you know, the tickets arrived. I mean, you know, we got here. And, I mean, the experience has just been, like, I mean, something I've never felt before. Obviously, I mean, this is not something that comes every day. And it's, it really is a dream come true. And uh, I'm just really grateful to, you know, to our God and, and our faith you know, that has led us through this way. And, and, and that's actually all I was doing was thanking him so much for everything. And um, like I've always done and, and the experience just getting to New York. I mean, this is every kid's dream come true. I mean, this is what every baseball family tells their kids, you know, I mean, whatever fan base they are, you know, like we grew up on Yankees, honestly. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was very emotional to come to their house and um, knowing that they're all their fans are aggressive and, and and not knowing what you know, I knew what it was like at Rogers Centers, and it was it was just an amazing experience. And he didn't even play there; it was just his introduction, and that was by far the most like I, I thought that was like nothing can beat that. And um, and then we get here, and it's like my goodness, I, I don't know what to feel. So many new emotions and. And so many things to be grateful for and, and just, you know, having all our family and friends and our support system there. It was, it was really just a dream come true, honestly. Yeah, and that's it's more than, than just a player a lot of times. And I'm, I'm a former hockey player and, you know, getting to watch you last night. And I, I know how much that means for the parents and my situation. My parents, they weren't there for my first NHL game but I'm sure that was a thrill for you and, and getting to see your reaction was, was just awesome. And, you know, I was messaging all my friends and that's what it's all about at the end of the day, but the sacrifice that the parents do go through, it's, I think a lot of people uh, don't understand the time, the effort, um, you know, the sweat, and then you, you, you get to see your son or daughter out there. It, it means a lot. What I want to ask is, you know, after the game, what, how do you celebrate after, after something like that yesterday? Well, honestly, it's all part of the dedication from when we've been doing it since little. So, you know, when he was little and, you know, there was a championship game or something, you know, there was no celebrating until you had that win. Um, now that he got the win, though, he's obviously in a different level. and There's not really much celebrating without him. You know, like it's very, for us, we're all very close, so it's, it's kind of very hard to celebrate him when he's not there. And um, I'll be quite honest with you, you know, last night it was a doubleheader. You know, I had his mom, my mom, his grandmother, and, uh, you know, she's elderly, so it was late. We really couldn't go out and celebrate. But to be honest with you, you know, the, the younger crowd, I'm sure they went out on the town and celebrated and, uh, you know, my mom and my, and my husband and I just, you know, we celebrated here ourselves and we're already contemplating how to celebrate where in the off season, actually, and celebrate just all his wins, God willingly. 
uh, he continues um, on this path, which I know he will. With Susanna? So, I mean, as far as celebrating, it's just a different level. You know, we can't really celebrate. But, you know, we were blowing him up and trying to FaceTime him. And then he was in an experience. He was getting on a flight, and he had to get to Cleveland. And So, I mean, it was all really emotional still, even after the game. You know, because, you know, we just really wanted to just be with him and hear all about it and his emotions and, you know, and and, it's, and I'm sure we will at some point today. Um, that's really about, you know, all we could do here. But I'm sure we'll celebrate. With Susanna we'll celebrate. Luch, uh, the uh, mother of Alec Manoa on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. So I'm going to throw a curveball at you, use the baseball terminology. You know, no everybody here in Toronto. Swing or miss? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're going to hit it out of the park. Um, we're all just, all right, all right. obviously, from a distance, we're all getting to know Alec a little bit. You're his mom. Okay. You've known him since the day he was born. Tell us something about him that otherwise we wouldn't know. An interest that he has that, that may surprise us or... There's something about him that that that's kind of fun, maybe off off the beaten path that we wouldn't otherwise ever really be aware of. Oh, uh, let's see which one I choose. I don't know because you know some of it may help me and some of it may get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, though, I will tell you this: how Alec, from the minute he was born, from the minute he took his pre-K three picture, I just knew it was very special. Um, he had a light in his eyes and just. He was always very a happy boy, still is, uh, just uh, takes everything with stride. Um, if I have to tell you one thing about him that maybe people wouldn't know is um, he literally is addicted to sushi. Like he, he eats a lot of sushi and uh, we go back and forth on the mercury levels. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he, he really does love sushi, and it's like, you know, every time you say, what are we eating? He's like, I can have some sushi, uh, <laughs> you know? And it's, and then, you know, he'll order, and it's like, okay, well, is that for everyone? And he'll be like, no, that's for me. So um, the biggest thing about Alec is that he's a big boy. He's got a great appetite, um, and, you know, he's very competitive, and that was always something at home, too. <laughs> That didn't change having a, his brother around. So, uh, you know, um, the only other thing I can tell you is that he's a funny guy. He just is a very funny guy. And the things that comes, come out of his mouth, you know, they, they like playing a lot around with me and they'll crack jokes about me and, you know, or they'll tell me, why are you wearing that? It looks hideous on you, you know, or something like that. And, and then just to see me in the turmoil, you know, of going to change or whatever, it's, it's just a, what I call the classic, the classic clown when they were growing up, trying to play pranks on mom and trying to make the best of everything. You know, I, I, there's other things I would love to tell you, but, you know, I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to be too incriminating, although I'll tell you, Susanna, he will not be disappointed with the sushi options in this, in this city. There are a bunch of good bunch of good sushi oh, restaurants. I don't doubt it because in the few times he's been there already, trust me, he's already sent me a lot of sushi pictures. <laughs> there, there you go. When did you... He actually taught, he actually taught me how to eat sushi because I, I never even really ate sushi. There, so. you, there you go. The, 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 the sons can teach the mothers uh, every now and then as well. When, when did you know... Absolutely. Like, he's a, he's a big boy, so there, there's yeah. no question about that. 
But when did you first have a legitimate sense? Like, it's one thing to have your your child be really good at a sport, and they're 9 or 10 years old. And then by 13 or 14, they've lost interest and moved on to other areas of life. But, like, when did you know that he had a legitimate chance, legitimate path to utilizing baseball to get an education and maybe even turning it into his professional career? I'm going to probably go back to 2008 on that one, Um, in my opinion, from my perspective. Um, You know, as a mom, I can be biased and literally tell you that I knew that if not, my hope was for both of them, and it still is, um, but if not one of them, um, you know, for their dreams to come a reality. I mean, that's everybody, every, every parent's dream is for their kids to be as successful as they possibly could be. Um, and they started baseball at an early age, so obviously the encouragement was, you know, um, there's a lot with sports. You know, it, it creates opportunities for scholarships. It creates opportunities for schooling. Um, I don't know what situation we were going to be in for college. Uh, you know, because I, I, you just don't know. And the bottom line was that in 2008, um, he, we played for a team called the Miami Playmakers, and that was a very special team. And uh, that was the year we traveled the most, and because uh, we just kept winning everything, we won, you know, U Triple World Series, we won triple crowns, uh, we were in St. Augustine qualifiers, you name it, and. Um, we ended up preparing for about a year and a half to go to Cooperstown. And uh, when they were 10, well, he was 10 and his brother was going at 12. So it ended up falling where we went for two weeks straight because he's, his fell his fell on one week and then the following week his brother went. And, um, you know, back then he wasn't really a pitcher or anything, you know, and kind of in travel baseball, you kind of are utility. You play kind of every every position you can possibly play because you never know what's going to happen. And these are kids, you have to take care of them, you know, and whatnot. So the focus wasn't really to have him pitching at 10 years old, you know? So he was a tremendous batter. He was a home run hitter. He was always powerful at the bat. He was either clean up or he was always third batter. And I mean, his home run and his batting average and the statistics were just off the wall. Uh, to the point where the coaches felt to put him in the uh, king of squat for Cooperstown for, for the home run derby on our first night there. And I have to tell you, you know, for 10 years old, um, the stadium in Cooperstown was extremely full. We didn't have this issue with COVID and stuff. And, you know, Cooperstown is all about diehard baseball. And the stadium was packed the evening. The lights were on. I mean, I, I, I was petrified not knowing that that we were in the limelight i was like how could he be feeling i I just don't you know so in my mind i was thinking to myself if he really gets through this you know he he's going to be really special and sure enough he started hitting home runs and then one came and two came and three came i believe the record was five and he tied five and i was just ecstatic you know the crowd was going crazy uh, you know, everybody, our whole team, even all the other teams were going nuts. And he ended up winning the home run derby with six to beat the uh, the kid's record. 
that had been held for like three years prior, if I'm not mistaken. And um, if I'm not mistaken, he still currently holds that record from 2008 as King of SWAT. Um, and to me, I just knew he was going to be something special because if at 10 you can deal with that spotlight and you can deal with it with such charisma and you can deal with it with such, you know, pride and, and, and he and, and, and understanding of how important, you know, the game is because that's really what it's about. You know, you teach them that first and foremost, it's, it's a game. You have fun, but you also respect the game. And, um, you know, and, and, and it's a career and to, to build a career, it's like school, you know, you got to practice harder. You got to get into these tournaments and play hot baseball is what we called it, you know? And, um, and he did just that. They, they both did, but, uh, that's the day I knew. And then from there on, he's just been either breaking records or trying to, or trying to set his goals and trying to just be the best he can. And then States was another moment. You know, uh, high school state championship, uh, you know, South State High School, that, that you, you know, you can't beat that, you know. And it was like, wow, you know, he's really going to get a scholarship. Everything's going to happen. You know, he's just amazing. And and then, you know, he just outdid it again. And then we knew it again, you know, when he got to West Virginia. But I think once he got to the Chatham Anglers and uh, – he was just out of control with his pitching and his mechanics were working. And he was really working with the pitching staff at West Virginia and, and Randy Maisie mentoring him. And it, it was just, I mean, I, I knew it. I knew it then when I was up there for, for, you know, before draft and, and all that and just going to see him. I just knew again that this was really going to happen at some point. I just, I thought it would be in its course, you know, so it took us, not by surprise that he did all this now at this level, but it took us in the sense of that it was just also fast and unexpected. You know, I feel like I didn't prepare for certain things or, you know, I, I, I like to have things. And, but, it, you know, it works out the way it's supposed to be, and it's, it's about him, and he had everything he needed, and, and um, you know, and he did it. Uh, awesome accomplishment very quickly Susanna we we have a segment called something to chew on brought to you by great Canadian meat and I love the little details so just a just a quick quick question for you where did you okay. get the where did you get the Blue Jays jersey you were wearing yesterday because it's World Series early 90s era home jersey not the current one where'd you get it well that's a that's a special story too because uh when we got the um precious invitation to uh, ha uh assist and go to Roger Centers and and the Blue Jays organization has just been one. I mean, I have the utmost respect for them. Um, they have just been, you know, by far concerned with not just him but his family and and making sure that the family is okay and everything is needed and you know that is very touching. So when we got to Roger Centers uh, last September or the September before, I should say, I'm sorry. Um, we didn't really have Blue Jays gear, to be honest with you. So, you know, we grabbed the credit card and went to the Blue Jays store, and we literally customized all his jerseys, um, all of them there. We must have bought about 100, not 100, but everybody that had a jersey on yesterday definitely was um, either with us at Rogers Center, you know, and whatnot. And um, that's really why they're so special, and we wear them at every game because – we legitimately picked the Cooperstown Hall of Fame uh, retro 
jerseys to be able to put our names on the on his name on our backs and you know and and wear them at every game so it's kind of like a a superstitious now we 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 brought his jersey from Canada you know his new home um so i mean that's that's really the special part of it and 47 that's always been his number so we did 47 with the hopes that you know he would have 47 and um i still am hopeful that he will at one point one day and um but 47 has been his 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 number and his brand and that's just the number we all decided to put on that jersey at Rogers Center so those jerseys come came to us from Canada and we were able to experience buying them there and that was like totally cool that's a great story Susanna and a great place to leave it I think that Alec and and you and your family uh, will find Toronto and Canada to be a very welcoming city and country so we we welcome you into the fold and we certainly look forward to catching up again thank you for the stories uh, you're a proud mom today and we appreciate your time Every day, sir. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Susanna Luch, the mother of Alec Manoa, and she was front and center yesterday as her son starred six scoreless innings at Yankee Stadium in his Blue Jays and MLB debut. Dominic Moore on the Leafs and Habs coming up. Sharpie's going with Vegas. I'll go with the Wild. And I'm going to go with Joel Erickson Eck. I think he's going to get a chippy one here sometime in this overtime period. Erickson Eck with a shot. He scores! Joel Erickson Eck. He's the hero. Minnesota wins game one. Hit overtime. Dom, you're going to go first. Who wins this game and who scores the OT winner? Honestly, I feel like it's one of those games that the Isles are just going to steal. I'm going to go with Josh Bailey. Your choice, Dom, for who wins this game in OT. I am gonna go with Kyle Connor for Winnipeg. Connor on a play, coming right side, he scores! Kyle Connor sends the Winnipeg Jets to the second round. All right, so our next guest is a former Leaf and apparently Kreskin. Dominic Moore, who every time he has picked an overtime game-winning goal on the NHL and NBC panel has picked correctly. So, Dom, thank you for your time this morning. I'm going to give you some options for tomorrow night's game-winning goal in the Leafs-Habs game. William Nylander, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. Which will it be? I'm not picking anybody in the red and blue, I can tell you that. Well, I actually called the game last night here. I uh, did the color for the game, and and... My streak is still alive because I didn't pick. I didn't feel like it was the right thing to do uh, as the color commentator. But, uh, boy, a lot, to, a lot to unpack from that game, that's for sure. What have you seen so far in the playoffs versus the regular season? Obviously, it's a different year where we don't get to see, right, teams play against other divisions, and we're all talking about McDavid and Matthews. Are they really the best in the league? Are they best the goal scorer, you know, Matthews with what he's done this year? What have you seen the difference from the regular season to now once the playoffs started? Well, it seems to me like Winnipeg decided they wanted to play playoff hockey on the night before the playoffs, and uh, they were able to do that. <laughs> I don't think that's how they played 
all season long. Um, they did have some kind of growing pains towards the end of the season. There was some benchings of top players by Paul Maurice. I think that was an effort by Paul Maurice to try and build some accountability towards the playoffs. Um, so got to give credit to Paul Maurice, um, you know, for, for what he's done there and how they shut down that Oilers team. And one thing that was interesting to me was, you know, you've got McDavid and Dreisaitl that played on the same line uh, not that much throughout the regular season here and there. And obviously Dave Tippett likes to throw them together, you know, in games from time to time, but more often than not throughout the season, they were on separate lines. And then after one game where they got shut down, he basically went to the super line for the rest of the series. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like he had to get them going. He was in a tough situation, but also that really opened them up, especially on the road. Because, you know, once you pack that line, I felt like, you know, Paul Maurice put Lowry against the, the McDavid and, and Dreisaitl line, and then he could put his big dogs, uh, and it was a total mismatch, uh, whoever they were going up against. Dominic Moore, former Leaf, is our guest, doing some work with the NHL on NBC through the playoffs. This is leadoff, uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So, Dominic, looking at last night's Leafs-Habs game, I, I, I think, in, I mean, you played in this market, so... It's not like we need to tell you this, but feels like Leafs fans are psychologically conditioned to expect the worst, and then if the worst scenario plays out, to expect more of that to come. But I look at last night's game, I don't think the Leafs were at their best, and yet they came back from a 3 nothing deficit, and I don't think you could lay any of the goals at Carey Price's feet. So... You know, Carey Price, one of the great goaltenders of this generation, a first ballot Hall of Famer when the time comes. The Leafs clawed and scratched their way back in. There was an egregious giveaway in overtime, which obviously ended up in the back of Toronto's net. Like, if, if I'm the Leafs, I'm just thinking, if we play our game tomorrow night, we should be fine. Yes, I generally agree with that. I think, obviously, I grew up in Toronto and, uh, I know the mentality, especially the last 17 years in Toronto, uh, the, the heartbreak and anguish that has been felt by Leaf fans, um, the various collapses, the goaltending issues. Um, I do think this team is different. Um, having said that, there are some concerns. So to me, and I mentioned this, you know, as part of my commentary last night, you know, you've got players in the lineup that are double-edged swords, and Galchenyuk is one of them. You know, he's got a track record of, of not necessarily being the most defensively sound, making some high-risk plays, and so you got the, the, the benefit of that, you know, in the last game before last night, and then you saw the downside last night. Rasmus Sandin, another guy, you get the benefit of his, of his goal in game three and, you know, his puck moving, but... He's an inexperienced guy. He, he definitely felt the pressure of the heavy Montreal forecheck last night on the first goal and the third goal. Uh, so you got to live by the sword and die by the sword if you're the Leafs. I still think they're going to live. Uh, I think they're going to win the next game. The question will be, can they live throughout the rest of this playoffs when they play better teams? With Sandine, do you think any of, any of last night's game had to do with the fact that they they sat him out in in game four? And he, as a young guy, you, maybe you start doubting yourself, or was that just 
one of those games where, hey, couple, you know, couple giveaways, couple plays he probably wish he would have had back, and you kind of just live for another day. Uh, I definitely think it was a factor. I mean, you lose a bit of rhythm when you sit out. Um, mm-hmm. So he was he was clearly confident. I understand trying to get Travis Dermott in the lineup, you know, and, and the rationale, I think, was we want to make sure Dermott's good for later. But if <laughs> – I don't know. If it were me, I don't assume that there is a later. I, I think you you got to win the series and, uh, you know, win now. And so I think there definitely is fair to question – that decision with Dominic Moore we're getting a lot of text to the program this morning specifically about Matthews and Marner how would you assess their play and you know presuming that your suggestion would be that they could offer more I think everybody agrees about that uh what what do they need to do particularly 16 Marner well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think I think part of it is that they, you know, their ice time has been through the roof, and the playoffs are a different game. It's more intense. It's faster. It puts a it puts a bigger demand on you know your fitness and your capacity to withstand large minutes. And they've been used. I think they had like three shifts in the first four minutes in the last game, I think Sheldon Keefe wanted to set the tone early, get those guys out there off and Marner missed his first shift, obviously with uh, the same thing where they're putting Simmons out to start the game. Uh, But I think it's harder to sustain that, that level in a playoff hockey, you know, and especially with Marner killing penalties the way he does. Uh, There wasn't that many penalties last night in particular, but there's less room. Um, you know, you look at William, you contrast that with William, and he's just kind of like unapologetically playing his game. And, you know, he's always relied on his skill, and, and it's not like he's here, these people telling him it's playoffs, you got to play physical and do this and do that and change your game. You know, William's just like, I don't care. I'm just going to play the way I always play. And, you know, it was, it was striking to me, you know, in the, the last, few minutes of the game it was a very cautious and conservative play from both teams just chipping it out chipping it in nobody wanted to make a mistake and then William gets the puck he winds it up and goes end to end and and tried to score and almost did and it was like he's the only guy out there that's just saying hey I'm gonna play hockey here last one from me um who have you seen in this playoffs that which team has looked good to you or before you said you know i I really don't think they have a shot at winning this year but they've kind of impressed me so far through the first round well i've been saying since before the playoffs started that the bruins to me look like the best team um i you know colorado it's hard to compare across divisions right now colorado looks looks amazing but the Bruins seem to be peaking at the right time. Tuka Rask missed the month last year in the bubble. He was he left the bubble, but he was not mentally fresh. Um, and this year he looks fresh and motivated. He's one of the few goalies that can carry a team on his back. To me, that's you know kind of the Leafs' Achilles heel. I think Jack Campbell has been good, but I don't think he's been really tested. The Leafs have played really well defensively, limiting the great A's. I think there was one great A between games two, three, and four uh, for Montreal. So 
Uh, he's done what he's needed to do to the mo- for the most part, but you got a guy like Tuka Rask in Boston that can can carry you. But they in front of them, they've got a healthy and deep lineup. Uh, so and a, and a team that's been there and has phenomenal leadership. So they're going to be tough to beat. Well, I know that's not good news for Lee. <laughs> well, they're going to Montreal. 2,500 people will be there, and uh, they've had some success in that building so far. We'll hope it carries over to tomorrow night. We'll leave it there, Dom, because we're right up against it. Thanks so much, and we'll reach out again. All right. Take care, guys. Dominic Moore, ex-Leaf, doing some work in the playoffs for the NHL on NBC. Monday morning, Ziggy. Are we talking about a series win or are we previewing or a, are we panicking and B are we previewing a game seven? I think the Leafs are going to wrap it up tomorrow. Uh, I, I think Matthews and Martin are going to show up. They've I'm sure the, they're getting called out right now. They know the heat's on them and they've, you know, stepped up in big situations this year and uh, tomorrow's their night. I'm with you. We'll be previewing Leafs jets on Monday morning. You Heard it here first. Have a great weekend. Good shows next. Have one comment on Putsin.